But on Fridays, we had what was called Gene Day, where if you brought in a dollar and paid your teacher, you could wear regular clothes. <laughs> you had to pay to wear jeans? Yeah. So every kid was so excited, like, you got your dollar? Like, it was this thing. It was this, like, Friday morning ritual to gather up all the money. The teacher would come around. I remember people would leave the dollar face up on their, like, you know, those desks that we used to have that would open and those wooden desks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The teacher would just, I mean, we would leave a dollar and the teacher would come around and be like, okay, okay. And the weird part is, you know, if you sort of dressed up normally that day and then got to school and didn't have a dollar... You were, they took you were, your clothes off in front of everybody. That's so. That cool. would that would be bad. Hello and welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And today. I, uh, so we had a sales meeting at work and afterwards we're kind of hanging out. The guys are loading their vans and stuff. And I, I looked at the one guy, I'm like, you want to go to lunch real quick? And he said, yeah, I'll go to lunch, you know, something fast. So around the corner from my warehouse, there's this like, it's, it's like a honky tonk basically. And I live in like, is a honky tonk an actual, that's a restaurant. Yeah. Is that it's a like a place a that. Restaurant? It's kind of like a bar with a dance floor that's kind of country western themed. I don't okay. know the technical definition of honky tonk, but I feel like Merriam-Webster, I'm probably close. Yeah, I mean, I've only heard the I would say the only time I've heard the word honky tonk is in those uh pop country songs and it's usually followed by badonka donk, right? <laughs> that's a classic yeah that's a good one so So i get what you're saying i know uh, i'm picturing it and i'm there with you it's like a hooters with 10 gallon hats yeah 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 something like that i i don't feel any urge to protect this place or anything like that so if you want to google it it's called true lies Lies. (laughs) i don't know why like you would expect it to be yeah true lies Dorado, kansas El Dorado. That's what people say. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Road to El yeah. Dorado. Do we have a so we have a Salina here that everybody says Salina? They don't say Arkansas River. They say Arkansas River. I, okay. I don't know. But anyway, who might argue so, with the local dialect? Right, right. That is what it is. So I'd never been to True Lies before, but I'd heard about it. True I heard it lies. gets. It's like it a, like a it sounds like a porn shop in the middle of Pennsylvania off of I-84 like that. <laughs> that would be classier than what it actually is. <laughs> but it's like a, it's like a restaurant by day and it opens at like 5 a.m. So it's like it's open crazy hours. It's open from 5 a.m. to like the middle of the night. And at some point it turns into a very rowdy like country bar. And I've heard there's a lot of fights there and stuff like that. But uh I'd heard that the food was all right, and it's so close to where my warehouse is. I'm like, let's well, let's just go over to this place. I'll, let's try it out. So I, I, the whole time I was there, I was thinking, like, if Sam comes to visit at some point, I'm bringing him here, he yes. will hate this place so much. <laughs> well, we could record a podcast just from our table there. Yeah. It's one of those places that's like, 
you know, it's one thing to be like country. There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of charming in a way and stuff. It's one thing to be conservative. These people are like, like turn it up to 11. Like I bet you whoever owns this place, the back of his truck is just loaded with bumper stickers between the, the rust spots. On one like, end, he's got fully like a, end. it's like an eight foot American flag. And then on the other end of the truck, it's uh, a, like a thin blue line flag just blowing in the wind. Oh, yeah. Well, here, I'll give you some context here. So we're walking in and the on the door, taped to the, f- the front door when you walk in, it says, True lies. Sadly, due to government handouts, no one wants to work anymore. Therefore, we are short staffed. <laughs> Please be patient with the staff that did choose to come to work today and remember to tip your server. They chose to show up to serve you. Oh so that's God. on the front door when you walk in. And then Dude, uh, we, have a, in. Um, we have a, we uh, have a, I guess I'll, I guess pizza place is vague enough, but people who know me and are around here will know it out, but they have a Facebook page that I follow for updates. Comet pizza. Yeah. And it's, they post similar things. Uh, not quite as heavy handed, but it's always, it's like, nobody wants to work these days, but we're hiring. It's like, and then they tell you how much they pay an hour and you're like, yeah, that's why nobody wants to work for that. They don't have to anymore. I don't, why is that a bad thing? Can we detour on that? Is it, why is it a bad thing where if you don't have to work for $12 an hour, why the fuck would you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, staffing's a problem everywhere. It's everyone's everywhere. hiring. It's not because nobody wants to work. It's just right. the state of things right now. There's more jobs than there are people worse. looking. It's just yeah, sucks. It sucks. But you know what might help with that is more open immigration. But I digress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're not looking for that. Don't so, don't give them easy solutions to their questions. Yeah, that's it doesn't jive with the worldview. But so, okay, so we sit down and it's shocking the amount of like stimulus there is in this place. Yeah, I like not surprised to know that what I'm guessing that you can barely see the walls with all the paraphernalia on them. A ton of paraphernalia. Yeah. Okay, so one whole wall, it's two flags. One says Trump 2020. We got (laughs) screwed. (laughs) <laughs> and the other one says Trump 2024. I don't know if that one had a catchphrase underneath. I couldn't see it from where I was. I hope we get screwed. They had a big InfoWars sign. Okay. In the uh, thing, which is something I haven't seen at a business before. No, That's new. I've never seen that at a business. That's remarkable. <laughs> they had multiple like wooden, uh, uh, what, do, what do they call that? Where, like uh, I keep wanting to say fatigue. Relief of of Donald Trump on the on the wall, like the bar <laughs> is pictures of Donald Trump on the on the front of the bar. What? And then in How the background, I keep. Oh, I mean, it looks old. It it's a dumb. So these, I mean, they recently redecorated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like an ongoing project, you know. <laughs> God, it's like a Cracker Barrel for racists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of old timey it's sort of fun you know it's like a (laughs) cracker barrel but with a modern racist twist (laughs) yeah and so there's this thing going on in the background 
there's one TV over top of the dance floor and it's playing something. And you know, okay, like you go into a restaurant during the day and there's a TV on. Like yeah. it's normally Sports Center or something. That guy, there's that one it, guy that's always on ESPN every five seconds. I don't follow any of that. So I, I don't know, know what his What's name a sport? Is. What are sports? I can't. Yeah, I don't right, know. right. That's what I like about you. Yeah, it's the one thing we have in common. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Maybe it's like a soap opera. Usually it's like some like milk toast news station or something like that. This one, I noticed like I looked over my shoulder I guess. and I saw an election map and I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> and, and then you I, saw okay, Mike so, Lindell on tv i wonder if mike lindell's a part of it there's some sort of documentary thing like quote-unquote documentary thing going on right now it's making the rounds in like the conservative circles that's like it's laying out all the evidence for how the election was stolen and it's showing people stuffing ballot boxes and whatnot like the mail ballots yeah no it's uh i forget the name of it It, yeah some loser i don't know which one but put out a documentary compiling all the evidence. And it's basically a bunch of like weird videos of people dropping off ballots and ballot drop off points and being like, look, they're dropping off ballots. That's too many. Uh, there's a problem. It's, it's like insane. Yeah. It, well, and like, I mean, what have we, we've been hearing like nonstop news for the last two years about like Republican gerrymandering, how they're like redistricting Florida top to bottom instead it's like yeah yeah the the government's corrupt like (laughs) of course it is like do you think this only happens on one side whatever this is if this is anything this is a bipartisan strategy i guarantee it (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but yeah it was a lot and it was one of those places where the wait staff is like i say wait staff i only talked to one person she was rude she was like (laughs) rude from the get-go uh not very nice it's because she's mad that she's the only one who showed up for work that day, dude. She's going to work double I'll tell time. you what. One thing I can tell you for certain about this lady, she's on board with all of this. <laughs> she's can a you, true could believer. Could you work there without it? You you can't imagine someone like me working there. Impossible. You like could you have to be fully on board or just I don't think anyone eats there if they're not fully on board except for you. For some reason you ended up there. I went there once. Yeah, I mean, I'll go. Then, if I, the only way I'm going back is if you come to visit. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go with you. <laughs> go ironically. Yeah. Why not? I'm still hipster Dude, I'm enough in, to like, do things ironically. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the only way to do this. But, you know, <laughs> being in and out of repair shops and stuff all day long, every day, there's a lot of really hardcore conservatives that are business owners. This was the most blatant, over-the-top, ridiculous display of like i don't know like uh you know identity forecasting whatever you want you know whatever you want to call it yeah yeah that's just public masturbation (laughs) pretty much it was pretty much what it was yeah so yeah true lies el dorado kansas give it a google i'm sure you can see what i'm talking about so you don't know what was on the tv it it wasn't newsmax it wasn't uh you don't know for sure there all i know is that there's a documentary going around right now that's like showing how the election was stolen from trump and by showing how it was stolen it's not showing how it was stolen i I don't know why we're i i I bet you i can google this in 30 seconds yeah you can i actually i i just watched a piece on it uh with someone 
explaining exactly why it's just goofy as shit. It's just done poorly. Like some of their slam dunks are like people dropping off multiple ballots, but in areas where like you can drop off other people's ballots, like you can drop off a bundle of ballots. It's no issue. So they'll just get like security camera footage of somebody, somebody publicly just dropping off a bunch of ballots and then walking away. And they're like, look, this is it. Slam dunk. It just doesn't make sense. 2000 mules. Yes. That's what it's called. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, our, our boy Dinesh D'Souza. That's right. How do these people just keep... Okay, like, the first time I ever heard of Dinesh D'Souza was in, like, 2013 or something. He did a documentary called 2016 Obama's America. Do you remember this? I don't. That was, like, his first big hit. Glenn Beck pumped it pretty hard. That's where I heard about it, because I think I was listening to that at the time. And... It was basically about how, like, you know, we were going to be like the Soviet States of America by 2016 if Obama won the 2012 election. And now that's their dream. It's so funny how things change. (laughs) (laughs) Freedom of speech, but, you know, don't protest things I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) And burn all the books that we think are shitty. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so frustrating, the, the, the hypocrisy. It's blatant. If it would anything. be cool if one side, if just one side decided like, you know what, let's just tr- let's try being consistent on anything. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I don't know what that would look like. You'd probably never win an election. That's like, let's, yeah, let's exactly. You know what that looks like? It looks like Bernie <laughs> losing an election again and again and again. That's what it looks like. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. The only two people who have said the same thing for like 30 years is <laughs> Bernie and Rand or Ron, not Rand. God. Ron Paul, both of them have been like pushed to the outskirts. I guess Ron's a little more comfortable there. Anywho, uh, big uh, story we, this week. No, before we change the stories, I just want to look. I want to point out my hypocrisy. Um, I, for the past few nights, slept on my pillow sheets. <laughs> he makes sheets. He makes sheets, and I slept on them. Are they uh, all blue pinstriped? No, they, these ones are like taupe, taupe, and <laughs> I mean they're—it's like the color of his personality, just bland and taupe, pointless. But comb over, <laughs> comb over is a new color. You are human khakis. I want to read that in a box of crayons. Like I got taupe, I got beige, I got comb over. <laughs> oh, dude, we have that box of crayons. Like we have that that box in the in the cupboard out there. It's like. <laughs> All browns, <laughs> but we um we had just a that's too long of a story to get into. But we had a situation um where we just did we we don't have we we ended up getting a king bed recently. We don't have a lot of like not, I should say recently, but we don't have a lot of spare sheets. Um, and we and we had to borrow like a pair of spare sheets from my in laws. We're like, uh, we need we don't have. We need a new pair of sheets, blah, 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 blah. Um, and they're like, yeah, that's fine. We got some. We get them. It's not my in-laws that buy them. It's uh, they actually, as much as they are, you know, they're Newsmax watchers, but they hate Mike Lindell's product. That shows you how bad it is. They hate my pillow. They just think it's the shittiest fucking pillow of all time. They bought them because they were like, yeah, Mike Lindell seems like a reasonable guy. Product is trash. <laughs> product is trash. And if people who watch Newsmax and are on that end of the spectrum 
think his product is trash. It's legitimately awful. He can't even sell it to people who are just on his side politically on everything. Well, it's not so. for sleeping on. It's for kneeling on to say yeah. a prayer for America. <laughs> but my, uh, but my wife's grandmother like will buy his stuff because she watches, you know, whatever. She orders everything online. And if you watch like old people TV, his advertisements apparently. So she buys his stuff and gives him away his gifts. So everyone's got like my pillow shit. And, uh, but yeah, so they gave us, they were like, that, that was like the spare sheets that they had that we could borrow. And it was, <laughs> I hate to say it, but they're honestly kind of comfortable. And <laughs> I, that makes me feel like a traitor to this country. Everyone can you know make it the out. The with want. Mike Liddell is, is that we don't have like somebody to counterbalance him. Like what we need is like a Billy Mays that's just like a hardcore AOC progressive, you know, just to balance Mike out. And then we yeah. can probably stomach him. We just need somebody to no, counterbalance he's, him. It's pretty unstomachable. I don't want a ba- I don't want a counterbalance because whoever the counter is would be equally as unstomachable and I don't want to deal with two of those kinds of people. One's enough. We'll just let him I'm glad he's like tucked away in the corners of Newsmax. I don't have to see it. We'll just sell his pillows over there, and well, Mike, I'll get I'll get his sheets from my wife's Check out True Lies. Yeah. enjoy the onion rings. But I was morally conflicted, dude. I was like, we're putting these on our bed, and I was like, hey, I, these are gonna. I hope they suck. I hope they're trash. And I was like, you just wet the bed on purpose. Yeah, I was like, these are actually uh, pretty good. That's the issue we've been having. My son has wet the bed the past couple nights. It's like so we needed like a, a spare just in case he like it's insane dude i mean he's five hasn't had an accident in forever he's been out of diapers forever and like last night he was good but for two nights in a row he woke up at like five in the morning because he completely soaked his what twice in a row dude saturday and sunday have your having your entire weekend ruined because your five-year-old pees the bed twice at five o'clock in the morning is the worst yeah yeah that sounds this sounds bad. My dog's been peeing in the uh, cat room lately. Your dogs so like. I feel like your dogs are always going through some shit with their where they're peeing, pooping, barfing. Like it's just a thing. We're never truly safe. It's because you, you, that's, your dogs are like, like out in the wild. You have you live in an area where your dogs can just roam, and they just eat carcasses and shit, and they come into your house <laughs> and barf it up and shit it out. Yeah, it's true. The amount of times that like my dog will come running up with something I'm like, what do you got there? Oh, it's a severed leg. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget when my dog, I, my dog who's no longer with us, but uh, she's a Westie. So not a big dog uh, came running up to us. Like, you know, when dogs do that, that happy wag where like their whole body's just like, they like shimmy up to you. They're like, hey, yeah. comes up with like a, a dead bunny uh and but it's like a it's a it's a baby it's like a oh that's baby baby i'm talking like six inches like just small like fresh super fresh and uh the top of the head is off completely so it's just like the lower jaw and a tongue (laughs) it's like and she's covered all white dog so she's like her snout and muzzle is just completely soaked in blood and she's just like wriggles up so fucking happy it's the best time of her life and my wife and my mother-in-law like we were out by their my mother-in-law's pool and uh they just kind of freak out and she just looked so defeated she like drops it she's like what 
this is the worst day of my life. I thought you guys would be so happy. <laughs> He's like Smeagol just presenting you at the yeah, present. Yeah, I, I was like, good girl. And they're like, don't say that. And I'm like, what are you, I mean, that's her job. That's what, she, it's like, it's bred into this dog to kill rabbits. I don't know. She was so happy. It was one of the best days of her life. So we, we celebrated and we ate it together raw. It was, we shared it. We let her lick in my mouth afterwards. It was really cute. I think that's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on to more important business. I don't even know how we got here, but <laughs> it was a fun trip. <laughs> it's about to be less fun. Depending on who you are in the scenario. Uh, yeah. So some real bad news came out this week for the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, shout out to some people in the Discord. We were talking about this earlier today, but um what was it a couple years ago how long ago was that the uh, was it that like the initial accusations were made public the initial accusations i think were a couple years ago i forget exactly but it was at last year's southern baptist convention that they voted to hire an independent third party organization to investigate the allegations and now we're about allegations of broad like widespread sexual abuse and misconduct yeah catholic church level stuff yeah and now we're about three weeks away from this year's uh southern baptist convention so jury's still out on how they're going to respond to it but basically the report is that things are shit things are really really shitty uh a couple of things about it that are particularly notable is uh one is that like it was 10 years ago, dude. That That's right. It just came back. 10 years ago was like when the first person really spoke up the shit. And it was like, but it wasn't publicly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like they were like, they weren't crying for the whole thing to be torn down and completely demoed. They were just like, we need accountability. Like there should be a database for people who have been, who have offended sexually or whatever, like. I'm not sure exactly what the language was around it. Like allegations, maybe not necessarily, but allegations are, look, I'm at the point where like, if you're, if someone comes forward with allegations, it's just probably fucking true with this. No (laughs) one's just like, Hey, someone touched my dick and I didn't want them to. And it makes the thing up. No one's doing that. Like women aren't just like, uh, that pastor sexually assaulted me just because what they want to tear him down. Like this is, getting fucking ridiculous that that we still have to play these fucking games where they're just like can pretend like someone would make this up to tarnish their reputation if all places of all places like the church if someone comes out and says somebody did something to them it probably happened i don't why because okay let's just here let's let's frame this real quick sure because I think we're kind of we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but like so so basically, people have been speaking up for a long time. Yeah. Okay. But it's just like you see in so many of these organizations. We talked about this a lot. Uh, uh, these church groups and these giant denominations and stuff like that are a lot like a corporation in meaning that like it's a big bureaucracy. Right. And There's at some point, presidents, CEOs, executives, it's just like a hierarchy. And when you have an organization that big, right, with goals as big as theirs are, whether you you know agree with them or not, at some point people start to look at the organization as a lot more important than individual. Individual people have brought allegations against pastors and leaders within the church, within the Southern Baptist Convention, for decades. 
probably since its inception. They, I, I'm sure that allegations have been coming in for a long time. In oh, the sure. church, the, the, the convention continually pushed these people off. Um, they you were, know, like whether some of the, they... Some of the cries were like, we, they wanted the database, and they're like, well, we can't, we can't really keep track of all that. That's not really doable. And then it turns out that they actually do have a list of all the people that allegations have been made against that they just well, sat think on about this. nothing with. So like of all the people that have brought forward allegations against different pastors and stuff, there's a lot of them that have been dismissed out of hand, have been treated yep. as liars or fakers or as people who didn't know really what happened or as a, you know, there was some people on in the article cited on NPR that like were told to keep quiet about what had happened. There were some people that out of all this group, you know, there's some people where there's there's nowhere for the organization to run. This is clearly something that happened or probably happened, and there's really no denying it or pushing these people away. And for those people, what they said is like, hey, individual churches are autonomous and we can't get involved in, yep. you know, discipline or anything like that here. The best we can do is pray. Of that small group of people that they P-R-E. treated their allegation. Yeah, right. Of the small group of people that they treated their allegations as if they were credible, right, which is a a fraction of the whole, those people have said, hey, can we have a list or a database? Can you guys do something to track these leaders and pastors and stuff like that that have abused members of their congregation or whatever? One of the pastors, the the guy was a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So this is leadership at the highest level. Was forced to resign over sexually assaulting another pastor's wife on a beach house vacation. So like for years and years and years, these people, the small fraction of the whole that were actually recognized as having legitimate, you know, uh, accusations and stuff like that. Those people were continually told that like, Hey, we can't, get involved. We can't create a list. We can't create a database. We can't track these people. Meanwhile, we'll come to find out by this, in, you know, external investigation, they do have a list. They have a very long list with hundreds and hundreds of people's names on it that yep. they keep internally. People that were accused of all sorts of heinous things against all sorts of type of people, minors. There's one pastor uh, that's accused, well, there's a guy that said that he was abused from age 12 to 15 by this youth pastor. And not only did the church not do anything, is they sat idly by while these leaders were continually shuffled to other churches in other parts of the country, very reminiscent of the Catholic Church. It's yeah. the same exact thing. And, and now here, here's the flip side of it. And here's where I think you got to, you know, it's easy to just like stay light a match and burn this whole thing down. During this last convention, like Sam was talking about, the group, you know, the larger group of all these different member pastors and stuff like that voted overwhelmingly to have an external group come in and investigate these claims. So there is a huge internal push for accountability and for transparency, you know, when it comes to sexual abuse and stuff like that. And it was ignored for years and years and years. And now it's it's all coming to light thanks to this investigation. I don't think anybody assumed that this was going to be a legitimate investigation that was going to turn up no. actual actionable items. 
but it is and it was and man they're they're bringing to light some really awful things yeah i agree i don't i didn't think that it would be a real investigation uh i think a lot of people felt similarly i don't think people believe that they would do their due diligence uh but the end again it was an independent company but generally when you go in that direction there's the assumption that you're going to hire somebody that might softball you right and that that really doesn't seem to be the case here um i think what's going to end up being important is whether or not the sbc follows through on any of their actionable items because they did provide a lengthy list of ways that they can do better that they can prevent this in the future and i don't know man i'm i guess i'm skeptical that they'll like really put in the work to make sure any of them get done. Uh, you know, obviously a database is one of them, but I think going back to like quickly, the, the irony of them saying, well, there's not much we can do because all of these organizations are autonomous is they have never said that when it comes to literally anything else. If you ordain, if you said, I want to ordain a woman as a pastor. Nope. There goes your SBC. You don't get funding. to be in the club anymore. You, if you're an SBC pastor, you can't drink. You have to sign something saying you won't drink. And if you do, you can be knocked out. Like they control every fucking thing. Now, of course, they're not going to find out about a lot. Like if you want to drink in the privacy of your own home, that's not obviously going to come back to get you. But you sign something that's pretty lengthy that says specifically what you can and can't do when it comes to the way you conduct yourself publicly. And I guess the difference is drinking's on there, but sexual assault just isn't mentioned. So it's probably not as big of a deal, but no, but I do have to imagine that it talks about sexual conduct and and things like that. Like, you know, if a pastor cheated on their wife, I'm sure they'd have more to say about it than if a pastor molested a 12 year old and then they, then they can't do anything about it. And that's, what's so fucking sick about this is like, it's very obvious that like they could, they could have done something from the start and that, playing this whole like the autonomy card it's like states rights bullshit is what that made me think of (laughs) it's like yeah it's like protect the organization at all costs like this is gonna hurt the organization and we've talked about that so much because there's the idea that like the mission outweighs the the bad things that could derail it well you're gonna hurt the gospel yeah no, this hurts the gospel. Yeah, you hurt the gospel. Yeah, this yeah. hurts the gospel. You thinking you can run from this stuff forever and then having it explode in your face. That's what hurts your testimony. Not Pastor Terry having a margarita in Key West on vacation, you know, posting a picture on Facebook. And that's that's what's so frustrating about so much of this stuff is just like the amount of 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 emphasis that is put on things that are so meaningless and insignificant while while this is i mean it is the quintessential example of remove the plank from your own eye before you you know try to take a sliver out of your your neighbors and yeah. i it's just it's just gross i think the only thing like the only part of this story that like that softens it at all is the fact that like the overwhelming majority of the members voted for this independent investigation which i mean that is that's a thing that i think is worth giving them some credit for yeah i, I think it is i mean there's something i think is russell moore was a previous president who who left 
because of some of the like all the bullshit that was going on. He actually had a really not to necessarily like he was the president of the SBC for a while. So to for him to be he able to like the, this wash is the guy that left because of the sexual assault. Like this, this literal topic is why he left. He he was the head of their yeah. public policy. So he wasn't the president of the organization, but he was the head of their public policy division or something like that. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. His his you know his blurb in the uh, NPR article, I think, is it really paints a picture. He, okay, here here's the quote. He says. So this is Russell Moore, who formerly headed the SBC's public policy wing, but left the denomination. So he left the denomination as a whole after accusing top executive committee leaders of stalling efforts to address the sex abuse crisis. So this is something that's been going on for a while, and it's not something that like all of a sudden the lid's been blown off. Like This has been an internal struggle for a long time, and there's a lot of people within that group that have just turned a blind eye to it or have chosen to let it keep going on by not doing anything about it. But he says, uh, Moore says, crisis is too small a word. It's an apocalypse. Um, he says, as, a, as dark a view as I had of the SPC executive committee, the investigation uncovers a reality far more evil and systematic than I imagined. Yeah. I mean, he ends up, he had, there's, he had a couple other really good quotes regarding it and the way that they will well similarly just the irony of like oh we can't we can't do anything about this but you know we'll go ahead and make a big deal about what women wear on television or what women wear to church in a way oh that hurts your witness but then they won't they'll just completely pretend like there's no issues going on it just shows like the rot and the soul of bc now some of the things that the report recommends to form like as, as solutions uh, and then we should probably wrap this up but uh as form an independent commission and later establish a permanent administrative entity to oversee comprehensive long-term reforms concerning sexual abuse and related misconduct within the SBC create and maintain an offender information system to alert the community to known offenders provide a comprehensive resource toolbox including protocols training education practical information here's a big one that's such a fucking duh that it makes me sick that someone even has to write it down in an independent report restrict the use of non-disclosure agreements and civil settlements which bind survivors to confidentiality and sexual abuse matters unless requested by the survivor it's like come on like the church handing out ndas like that is really fucking egregious that's one of the big ones i mean that's what everyone defaults to mars hill did that shit like Obviously, corporations do it all the time. And the fact that we like NDA is a thing is kind of mind boggling. Like we can we can legally force you into silence is so strange. But a church especially defaulting to an NDA to, to not have to deal with the legal repercussions or the fallout for them. Pretty gross. So look, jury's out on whether or not they're going to implement any of this shit. Uh, I'm interested to see how they react to this. It was like a 300 page report. Uh, I'm interested to see how they react to it at this year's Southern Baptist convention. We'll see if any one of them or the majority, at least when it comes to voting has, I don't know, any integrity at all. And we'll actually follow through with any of the recommendations here. Well, I'll tell my you hopes this. aren't super high. The entire executive committee should be gone. Yeah. Not a single person who's been on that board throughout this crisis should be there when this is all done. It's the same as like when we talked about liberty after all the scandals and stuff like that. 
you, you know, that if there's anyone left right. on that leadership committee at the end of all this, then they're not taking this seriously enough to, to, I mean, especially right. to, re- to remain a tax exempt organization, you know? Oh, I know. That's a, I think that's what people find really upsetting too, is that they can continue to maintain that despite their failures uh, to report such awful things. I, I want to say the report it's weird because the way that the vote for the in favor of the independent investigation worked was like, I want to say there was a couple of executives that the majority of this falls on that handled these kind of cover-ups and stuff like that. I feel like there's kind of like this uh, desire for people to try to like get out from underneath it though. Like if you could, even if you could hang it on a couple and the rest were like, things seem weird. We should vote about this. Like you're implicated. You've been at the top for too long. Everyone know, like it just, the trust is completely eroded. It's been eroded, but now it's especially eroded. And you're right. I mean, the only way, the only path forward, even if, even if there are people in the executive board who are completely blameless and guilt-free from all of it, who gives a fuck? Like you got to clean house. If they, if they haven't been an, an outspoken voice throughout the process here, then they need to go. Yeah. If you care anything about your quote unquote testimony of reestablishing trust with your, you know, your denominational members and things like that. Stop protecting those people and get rid of them. And if they, you know, if they willfully ignored, you know, the, the, the requests of people who have, you know, leveled accusations at leaders and stuff like if, if they were part of the group that shuffled around these different pastors who were accused of molestation and abuse, they need to face criminal charges. Regardless of what it makes the SBC look like, take these people out and and hit them with the full extent of the law. And or else, you know, you're just going to be another corrupt organization that has no credibility with the outside world. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, I mean, they have to understand, like, I, I just read earlier today that 3 million Southern Baptists have left the denomination in the past 15 years, and more than 1 million of those have been in the last year. So you're hemorrhaging percent. You're fucking hemorrhaging people because of the way you're running your shit. So get the fuck out of your own way. If you, if you actually care, like, that's the irony. We care about the gospel, therefore we can't deal with this. Otherwise, people will be like, well, then it's bad. Yeah, it's fucking bad. Own it because everyone knows it's rotten anyway. That's why you've lost so many people. And if you want to clean it up, like I'll never consider it to be a viable option for me. Uh, I, I'll probably never consider it to really be important at all. I think I, most people would be better off leaving it. I don't think the Southern Baptist Convention carries a lot of weight and I think their theology is backwards. But you could do that in a way that doesn't fucking hurt people so bad, including the people who are leaving it in droves. Those people are hurt too for different reasons. I don't know. That's just, it's, it's getting mind boggling that like they, that, that the way they dig their heels in and say, we can't handle our problems because it'll make more people leave. Just the numbers don't check out on that. <laughs> Not at all. Their responses to everything for the past 15 years has been constant leaving. So anyway, Tidy up your house, scumbags. We should introduce our guest. Our guest this week is Kevin Klein. Kevin is a frontman for an awesome band called Valley Heart. Uh, I speak very highly of them in this conversation we have, so we don't need to get too much into it here. 
they're a tooth and nail band. They have a new record coming out on June 3rd. Uh, they also, if you, I don't know, I don't think a lot of our listeners live in Massachusetts, uh, but they are a Massachusetts band. And if you are in the area, I think they have, they're still selling tickets to an album release party on June 3rd in Salem, Massachusetts. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, I want to be there very badly. I would be there, but uh, my foster son's high school graduation is at night. So I suppose I'll go to that instead of the Valley Heart album release show. But I uh, re- <laughs> really should say release. I think it's a listening party, not a show. Um, but they'll also be hitting the road soon to to promote and, and tour the new album. So keep an eye out for them. Like definitely check them out on Spotify. Uh, it's really good shit. I think our listeners especially he just hits on a lot of the shit that we've all gone through when it comes to losing, shifting, changing your faith, whatever that looks like. I think you'll find something that resonates with you uh, all to the sound of some really fantastic music. So without further ado, our conversation with Kevin Klein. Hey everybody. We're back with our guest, Kevin, Kevin, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Kevin, I want to start us off uh, with a little bit of an icebreaker because my f- we have a mutual friend, uh, as we've talked about, and he's actually been on this podcast before. Uh, so for the listeners, uh, Jesse O'Neill, my childhood friend, um, you guys used to play, you guys' bands, you were in a metal band for a while. I don't know how for how long, but you yeah. guys used to play shows together. And uh, he's he's brought up this show that you got that he played a couple of times that was really an interesting experience and i only just found out that i guess your band was a part of that so you guys played a homeschool graduation do you remember this <laughs> was it in, did he tell you the state uh he didn't i wish okay. he was on no, right he didn't. Now, okay i was gonna say do I, you play a lot of homeschool graduations yes at least three a year so this is kind of hard to track no no, <laughs> oh, I'm, kidding. no. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding um i I think I remember, I think it was in Connecticut. I think it was in Bristol, Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Did he give you any more context or information? I mean, the context was that like there was nobody there and the people who well, were that, there that, that, that we did, that we did, that happened a lot. So <laughs> that, there was a lot of that. So that's not really narrowing anything down. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe it was parents and kids who didn't belong there. Kids who would not okay. necessarily find themselves gravitating towards yeah. the metal scene. I think it was for this family that, yeah, they were big fans of the, the heavy stuff and the Christian heavy stuff. I think I think I got it down. Yeah, that's that's so funny that he remembered that. I, I'll need to reach out to him and ask him more about it because that is too funny. <laughs> oh yeah. man, that yeah, that was a time and time in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he talks. Uh, he's talked a good bit about playing. Just uh, every band. I, I swear, if you're yeah. just in the heavy music scene and. It's like playing a show for other bands and a couple other people. Or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, Homeschoolers yeah. are a different breed. I was homeschooled. Uh, okay. and I had gone to homeschool graduations, and I know what those are like, and I know that metal bands don't usually belong. No, no. I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, like you're saying, a lot of shows like that. Lot, not lots of people, but just weird shows because we were sort of that, you know, Christian metal band. We would play churches sometimes and youth events that had just no business of having a heavier band on there um <laughs> played a deli once uh, a deli yeah played a deli played a bunch of just 
interesting youth groups. Yeah, lots of variety in, in that time of life. It's, oh, it's sure. so funny thinking back on it. I'm sure Jesse has all these stories too, but there's that funny video I'm sure you guys have seen, but it's like the, the band playing at Denny's, the hardcore band. Y'all seen I, that? I don't think I have seen that. Oh, wow. That's like iconic. Um, it's just this band, this like local hardcore band. It's like, what the fuck is up, Denny's? And it's just like they're in a Denny's <laughs> and they're playing a show. And there's like people around them. It's like a real show that someone just took on like their iPhone or something. And it's one of the most amazing videos because it really captures a time in life for me. It's like, I, I know that feeling. I know the feeling of pulling up to a place and being like, okay, we're playing at Denny's tonight or like some weird place in the middle of nowhere. All right, let's give it our all. <laughs> yeah, it's all like you pull up and it. you never know. It. It's also funny because when you never know what to expect, you don't really know what you're looking for. You're just like, yeah. did we pass it? Or this is this is it. We're here now. Yeah. I don't yep. This can't be it because there's no cars here. It's been lots of that in my life, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Perkins, this song's called Moons yeah. Over My Hammy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, Kevin, why don't you, uh, I, I want to hear a little bit about your life uh, and how you grew up. I know you grew up in my area, I think. Massachusetts. Did you grow up in Massachusetts? So I was born in New York and moved okay. to Massachusetts when I was around uh nine years old so most of my life in massachusetts cool. yeah i feel like there's not obviously there's plenty of people who grow up in massachusetts but i feel like uh we haven't talked to ever, ever, tons of people have grown up near you casey like people from your area i feel like that happens oh, like regularly. i feel like exactly the opposite what our guests i feel like like at I least feel five like people, people from like, massachusetts oh, from never like stop jabbering about it Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> All like right. A I don't personal now. Like Not everybody in our dorm was from Massachusetts. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so, so you two went to school together. Is that how you met? Yeah, yep. we met at Liberty. Liberty University. On the oh, big LU. Yeah. But yeah, we did have a lot of mass kids on our dorm. And I didn't actually know. So a good, I knew a couple of them ahead of time, but I was like, just kept meeting people from Massachusetts. So I'm like, how are all of you guys showing huh. up at Liberty University? Well, I'm sure Liberty is a big school, but what, what year did you two graduate or um, college? I graduated in 09. 09. Okay. Yeah, I was like, uh, it I took me a little bit of time to get through it. I think I was 2011, I think. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, you guys are a little older than my group because I had some okay. people I know down at Liberty too, but a little later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a big I, if school. If you know people who went to first. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a definite rule. But, yeah, so you grew up uh, – yeah, so how, what was your kind of background, your church background? Oh, uh, yeah. So I grew up in New York uh, as a young child and then moved to Massachusetts. Um, church background. Uh, well, my mom was slash is a Christian um, and sort of tied to her faith very strongly. Uh, my dad was sort of not so much the was the secular one at the time, you know, the one we had to say, as they Ooh. say. Um, so my mom grew, uh, raised me going to church pretty young, um, and she's Brazilian. So we went to Brazilian church, actually. It was my first church experience. Okay. Um, it was like a very young child. I remember running around at our in Queens, New York, actually, uh, running around and singing at the church. I would do like, there was like solos you would do as like a four-year-old and I would sing at the church and, and run around at the church and, and then got involved in like kids church and, and then eventually youth group in 
high school, which were definitely some of the most formative years, um, and made a lot of friends through that, made some of probably what is now my core friend group through that, um, and it's morphed and melded, but met a lot sure. of people, met the band that I was in that played with Jesse's band and uh, the, the Christian metalcore band, um, met those guys in, in high school at youth group and started touring when I was 14 and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, it was freshman or sophomore, fifth, 14 or 15. It was like um, sophomore year of high school and we hit the road in the summer and then we kind of just did a lot of those sort of regional tours and um you know that was sort of our church in a while too if we're talking church history just like doing that um am i going too far did you no, just want you're fine. no no you're yeah. fine i'm, I'm actually going to cut in though because the whole yeah. touring at 15 thing is kind of wild to me uh i feel like that's what 15 year olds talk about wanting to guessing someone in your group had a driver's license that was able to make that yeah happen. i was always the younger one <laughs> i was always the younger one so i sort of hitched on and, and then eventually got my license and started driving too. I was in, I've, I had a brief stint in a band, um, okay. but I wasn't, I'm not, it, there's no reason that should have lasted longer than it did. Probably shouldn't have lasted, but um, I had a van. So that was like, that might've been part of the reason uh, that kept me around. Mm. People with oh, vans yeah. go far in that world. It's currency, man. <laughs> <laughs> what the, Man, so did your dad ever get into church or did he always kind of hold it at arm's length? Uh, he held it pretty much at arm's length. Um, it's funny, we, we still talk. I have a great relationship with both my parents today and talk to them about faith and church stuff all the time. My mom, who who is not, who's still a Christian, but not in going to church anymore, which has been a so, very interesting thing, something I never thought I'd see. But my dad always kind of held it at arm's length. And I mean, we were pretty hardcore sort of, the church that I'd grown up in, sort of evangelical church, um, AG, Assemblies of God, it was pretty charismatic, pretty intense, pretty identity driven um, from the youth group phase up and, you know, even before that with kids church and all that stuff. And and I, I was not uh, indoctrinated, but I was heavily, you know, I mean, yeah, indoctrinated, but this sort of heavy sense of this is my faith. It wasn't just that, like, oh, I go to church on, on Easter and Christmas. It was like, I was reading the Bible when I was in middle school and praying and sort of leading worship at chapel and all this stuff. So um, my dad always just kind of was like, hey, like, I, it's fine, but it's just not for me, not my thing. Like, I'm, my family's Catholic. Like, one of those guys just like, yeah, I'm chill. Like, I don't, I don't really want to go to church. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we talk now about some crazy stories and like sort of the tensions that brought within my dad and I sort of like being this judgmental little kid who like, you know, at the time thought if you listen to Unchristian, like, go to hell, you know, and, and all this crazy stuff that gets into your brain. Um, and my dad just being like, all right, Kev. All right. You know, and him just like not knowing what's how to deal with that. Right. And um, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Even my mom and I talking about that stuff about how crazy, like some of the things we believed and we did and pastors we listened to and how, whether you fall on the Christian side or not now, both of my parents are like, that shit was crazy. <laughs> Assemblies of God comes up a lot on this show. I feel like I didn't yeah. really know anything about them two years ago. Oh, and wow. now like a significant portion of people that we've talked to have been Assemblies of God. And it seems like it tends to lean charismatic fundamentalist like pretty much 100% of the time. Yeah. I, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for the... Uh, the whole branch there, but I, I know specifically for, for our group, it was, I mean, it wasn't like 
crazy stuff, but it was just, you know, the little subtle things. It's the modesty stuff. It's the culture around purity and, oh, and yeah. uh, you know, all, all that subtle stuff that you're not like hit, in, hit, with the, hit on the face with, but through the years, you're like, huh, you know, you just start sort of reminiscing and thinking. And, and I often wonder, I mean, I, I'm not, not to just bash on the AG. I mean, I think that every institution has a level of that. Like even thinking about my school, like where I went to school, it was like, there's just some weird stuff that happened. And I'm like, as an adult now, you're just like, wait a minute, that probably wasn't the best thing. <laughs> yeah. Were you at a Christian school? I was. Yeah, I okay. was. But it, yeah. it wasn't like Christian related. It was just like, we had a uniform. Um, at my, I just was having a conversation with a friend about this and just thinking about how, how wild this was. We had uniform Monday through Thursday at my, my school and we would wear gym clothes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Monday and Wednesdays it would be regular sort of button up collar with dress pants clothes. This is elementary school, middle school. But on Fridays we had what was called jean day where if you brought in a dollar and paid your teacher, you could wear regular clothes. <laughs> you had to pay to wear jeans? Yeah. So th- every kid was so excited, like, you got your dollar? Like, it was this thing. It was this, like, Friday morning ritual to gather up all the money. The teacher would come around. I remember people would leave the dollar face up on their, like, you know, those desks that we used to have that would open and th- those wooden desks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The teacher would just, I mean, we would leave a dollar and the teacher would come around and be like, okay, okay. And th- the weird part is, you know, if you sort of dressed up normally that day and then got to school and didn't have a dollar... You were, they took you were, your clothes off in front of everybody. That's so. That cool. would that would be bad. Yeah. No, they. You had to call your parents, and they had to come bring your uniform. Like I remember that happened to a girl once. And oh. that was just thinking of like the humiliation and just the logistics of that is just. Yeah, As yeah a it's a dollar. In school, it's annoying when I have to pick up my kids because they got sick at school. Never mind. Something yeah. Like that. <laughs> I know a dollar. It's it's like come on. So. Looking back on that, it's like, that's some sort of mind trick going on there. That's like, yeah, we, we control you. We allow you to sort of break out of the mold. It's like under, it's like controlled chaos theory. I've gone into like deep Freudian theory with my friends about this situation. It's, it's pretty weird. <laughs> they don't take IOUs there, I guess. Yeah, I guess We've not. talked a lot about like, because uh, I went to Christian school pretty much my whole undergrad whatever but uh it's so weird like the dynamics that form in those in those environments because you know we always say that like when when nobody's really doing anything bad like very small things get amplified big time to the Mm -hmm. point where like you know nobody's drinking nobody's even really swearing or something but someone just like continually doesn't tuck in their shirt like they're supposed to and all of a sudden like their mom's in the principal's office and they're having oh like, a yeah talk about it. oh yeah that's that's exactly right it was exactly that it's, it's now looking back you're like this is nominal levels of, of offenses so what are we doing here you know <laughs> what's what's like uh one of the dumbest things that you remember like getting in trouble for yourself or somebody else well I have, a, I have a specific memory, but it's not about me, but it was about one of my good, good friends in middle school. And it's a really funny story, actually. So every Friday, Jean Day, you can wear normal clothes. And there's this kid, um, his name is Jordan. I don't think he'll mind me saying his name, but if he does, I'll say there's this other person, my friend. Um, he, uh, every Friday, he would wear, we all wear normal clothes, but he was super into goth and metal and pan, like, you know, these these bands like Metallica and Megadeth and was super into like metal stuff. And he was always sort of the rebel of the school. And 
every Friday he, we weren't aware we weren't allowed to wear shirts that had any graphics, let alone names or words or bands or anything like that. It was supposed to be a sort of a plain shirt. That was another thing. No graphics could be on it. Um, but he would come in every Friday with like a Metallica T-shirt or uh, you know a Slipknot. Slip it was like that level of Whoa. stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I remember he would get called to the principal's office every Friday and he just didn't care. He's like, well, and his, <laughs> his mom didn't care too. His mom was so cool. I remember she was just one of those teachers that would like fight with the principal. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is messed up. And she had her, her son in there for different reasons, but she was like, this is crazy. And he would just defy the rules um, every time. And then one time I remember he got called in and he was wearing a Lamb of God t-shirt. And I was like, "Uh oh, like Jordan, this is this is your this is it, man. You're gonna you're, you're done. This is uh this is the end for you." And he went in, went to the principal's office, and I remember coming back and he had this big smile on his face. Like, so what happened? Did you get expelled, suspended? He's, he's like, "No, dude. I." She looked at my shirt and she said, "Lamb of God, Jordan. That's beautiful. I'm really glad that you're <laughs> taking this path in life." And she was completely fooled by the band name. It was a, it was a sort of a mild shirt, so it could have gone both ways. It was sort of uh, you know, ambiguous. And she totally thought it was a Christian band or Christian t-shirt. And we just laughed about it for the whole period. I, I'll never forget that story. That's so good. I, we just kind of, I feel like we recently just, we were recently talking about band names that could pass for Christian names. And Lamb of God did Mike come Valdez. up. Yeah. Ah. And I remember, I remember Lamb of God the first time I heard it thinking like, because uh, most of my introduction to, to heavy music was through Christian music, but I was like, Okay, I, but then the people I heard it from weren't Christians, and then they weren't in that scene at all. So I, I, I just remember feeling uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to be the guy who asks. I don't want to mm. be like, oh, is this a Christian band? Because then you look like the guy who only. I don't know. It was like I don't want to be that person. Gotcha. And that one sat in the back of my mind for like three or four weeks before I finally got confirmation. <laughs> it's like uh, Children of Bodom. Do you guys know that band? Oh, yeah. 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 It's, you know, I mean, Bodom sounds like something that could come out of Leviticus, you know, you're just like children of Bodom. Like, yeah, I missed that chapter, but it's in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, okay. How big was your school? <laughs> um, when I first entered the school in second grade, there were, I think, 41 kids in my class. By the time I had graduated eighth grade, because I say they're from t- second grade to eighth grade, the school had deteriorated into my class was now four kids and actually my last year was the collapse was the last year of the school wow yeah now this it's it was a school and a church now it's just the church and the church is still there um the school is long gone because they realized didn't make money and just shut it down and there's a whole situation weirdness with that but yeah it it deteriorated pretty quickly throughout those years but small i would say I'm going to hand it to him for holding out to four kids. That's impressive. Yeah, there's real resilience or stubbornness (laughs) there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. (laughs) No, is it like a a traditional type of curriculum where you went to classes and stuff? Or did you do some sort of like homeschooling as a group sort of thing? It was pretty traditional class um, class stuff. There was no homeschooling aspect, but... We had, I remember as an elementary school, and I don't even know if this is normal across all schools because I only have my experience, but we would have one teacher for all subjects. Um, that's that's pretty standard, right? Yeah. yeah I, think I was in okay, okay. school until, only, well, I only was in it until through second grade, but that was always the case for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, nothing too out of the ordinary there. But I will say when it got to eighth grade, stuff started getting weird because 
our <laughs> computer teacher who didn't really have a degree in anything else, I think, suddenly, because teachers started leaving in protest because the school was closing all of a sudden, um, our computer teacher suddenly became our math and science teacher and really had no idea. One of those things looking back had no idea what the guy was doing. Um, I'd be like, hey, Mr. McNeil, uh, if X is equal to seven or, you know, whatever, but what's the log of 10? I'm makes no sense, but and you'd be like, huh, great question. Let's look at it together. And, he'd, and that was the answer to every question was let's look at the textbook. I felt now I feel bad for that guy because he was just probably thrown into a shitty situation and just like, all right, I guess I have to do this. But it, it got a little weird there for sure. It's like, right. Well, uh, look, kids, it's either a sine, a, a cosine or hypotenuse. Yeah. Tangent? <laughs> <laughs> here's a here's a great way to transition into a tangent here. I always think it's weird thinking of how like think because like when you're a kid, you feel like your teachers are kind of old. And now that we're. Uh, I'm presuming you're in your thirties or around that. It's like 27. Really? I'm yeah. just, I don't think you necessarily look older than 27. Didn't mean to be offensive, but I, no, uh, you're good. I do just look older. making guesses here. Uh, but it is weird to like, think back and be like, like knowing that our teachers were around our age and it's like, or some yeah. of them. And you're like, you were normal people, but you didn't, they didn't seem it. And Oh, thinking yeah. back on how they would have felt or what their like experiences would have been. Te- I had this teacher who was a nightmare. I don't think I've told her. She was terrifying and kids were afraid to do anything. Like if you yawned too loud, she would just yell at you and berate you in front of the rest of the class. And one kid, he was the one who would typically act up. His name was Gary. And he would, he was, he did have a fear of her, uh, but then he was also a brat. So it was like one of those kids that couldn't help it, but then ended up just, he was miserable in that because he would always get yelled at. But one day he really had to go to the bathroom and he was too afraid to raise his hand to ask the teacher if he could use the bathroom. And he just sat at his desk and peed his and sat in it for a while oh. before the teacher, like he, the teacher saw him crying, fucking crying in his chair with his head down. And uh, she's, that's when she realized he peed his pants and she had to oh, call his mom. No. And, so, and it was How did just she because, react to it? Oh, like she was mad at him for doing it. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. She was truly an awful person. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's some weird, yeah, it's, it's definitely trippy to think about the age thing. Um, I, that stuff trips me up all the time. I think about it way too often, just sort of comparatively. <laughs> oh, my mom was this age. She was my age when this happens. Yeah. That's wild. It's wild. I know you're like, Oh, they were my age. Like my parents were younger than me when they had me. Like I, I'm yeah. like my, when my, my kids are, uh, six in five and when that when i was around five my parents were around my age and it's just like oh that is weird to think about because i i feel so much different than how i perceive my parents definitely you never really know like there was probably so much shit going on in their heads and their lives and in their minds that you're just like it's so you'll never ever you'll never understand it it's so true and i think i've had more and more grace for my parents as i've gotten older Cause I'm like, wait a minute, I'm nearing in on the age that they would have had me or something like this. And you're thinking, I ha- I have so much stuff going on in my head and I'm still a mess and like learning and growing and like doing all this stuff. It's like, they're just people. Like, of course that's obvious, but you know, there's always this sense of sort of them having it figured out and down. And I don't know. I think as you get older, you're like, there's a lot more just you guys did your best. Yeah. Yeah. The so you guys did your best thing. What the, like who is in charge of your school? Was it a pastor or was it like a, an actual like qualified like person for running a school or? Well, all right. I'm going to go into the bureaucracy of it all. Um, 
so it was a church and there was a pastor who had his wife and family but the church side was pretty separate but it was fun the school side was funded by the church side so the pastor was sort of this elusive figure that would like stop in every once in a while and like Mr. Collins but he wasn't around like you know there was a whole sort of system of there was a principal, there was a vice principal, there was a, I don't even know, you know, your, there was the office with your secretary and all this stuff. So there was a pretty intricate system there. Um, but it was all, again, looking back, my mom and I were just talking about this. It was all sh- shady in the sense of, I don't know, it wasn't like, I feel like it was people that didn't have the right credentials to be in the position they were in just because it was like a really small private school. Not a lot of eyes on it. No, like government eyes on it, at least. Um, yeah, interesting stuff, but there was a, there was a sort of a, that, that stuff's always interesting to me. Cause like, I mean, there was one qualified teacher at my school okay, and he, he was great, but the rest of them were just like volunteer parents. Right. And then they had a lady with some edge with like some education background and stuff. And I think she was a pretty competent lady, but, uh, there just wasn't a lot of infrastructure there or like clear designation of power and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, dress code was just a problem all the time at our school because it was kind of, it wasn't clearly defined, so it was kind of at the whims of whoever wanted to make a big deal out of something or didn't out of this. And it wasn't, it wasn't as bad for the guys, but, like, for the the girls, it was bad. Because yeah, <laughs> it was like, bummer. if you irritated the person in charge, they tend to pick apart your dress and your your shirt length and your how tight your pants are and stuff. And I remember like we had one big event a year that was like the senior banquet where everybody dressed formal and stuff. And the girls would all have to bring their dresses in and try them on for the uh, the the leadership person at the time. Chaperone. Exactly. And yeah. like they would decide if the dress was like uh, appropriate or not. And I remember like all of the girls, like basically any of the girls that tended to be in her crosshairs, they would all have to wear like a big shawl over top of their dress. And then all the rest of them could kind of wear whatever they wanted to. It was just always a weird like point of contention within that environment because there wasn't like very clear set out rules on like, look, you guys wear khaki pants, you wear blue or red polo shirt, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, no, there was a lot of that. I, my friend went to Christian College, one of my best friends, and they had the quarter trick for guys. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but the quarter trick, the quarter trick, yeah, it was um for guys and girls, I think, uh, maybe not for girls, maybe I don't know, but it was the era of skinny jeans. It was the scene heavy music era for you know all the guys. We were as tight jeans as we could. And the trick was, you, if, if you can get a quarter down your pants and it hits the ground, you're in good shape. But if it can, this is a real thing at a really qualified seminary and Bible college. Wait, did the, um, uh, did the person conducting the, the, the survey, did they sniff the quarter afterwards? That would be freaky. I don't know. But <laughs> I, never, I never went to the school. So, but there were people who were vouching that this is true. And I've like... And you would get a fine if, if it got stuck in there. You'd get like a $50 <laughs> fine. 
Um, Not so, only did they get fined, that person who put it down there had to fish it out, and that was the right. So in reality, they owe forty nine ninety five. If you ask me, you know, <laughs> or, or I should say $75. See, I, that's for, you got to pay for a full month of OnlyFans subscription for me. Okay? There you go. There you go. <laughs> I want to big while we're talking about wearing like jeans and a polo and like skinny jeans and a polo at, you know, Christian college. I just want to give a huge shout out to August Burns Red for making that cool at that time, making it not so terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely used to love that band. That was um, their deal. They all wore polos. They were like the American into. Eagle scene kids. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah there was oh my goodness i have pictures on end of that was yeah that was the world we were in at that time everything so dude so growing what's... up with your dad not going you mentioned there being like a tension there not going to church and you kind of you kind of saying stuff to him Sunday. was that like a normal thing were you trying to get your like did you feel that pressure to like get your dad into church did you talk to your mom about it like how did that how do you think that affected you when you were a kid Oh, yeah, immensely. Actually, last Father's Day, my dad and I had a three-hour talk about this. Um, I think and... everyone's going to... The takeaway from this conversation, dude, for everyone listening, is going to be that it's pretty fucking cool that you can just talk to your parents about this shit. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll say it's... I know it's a privilege. I, like... I am so grateful for it because I know that not everyone has that opportunity and not everyone everyone's parents or themselves are in a place where they can sort of have conversations that move forward that don't just hit a wall of like, well, we just disagree or I don't love you or up, to, up until I don't accept you. Like people, you know, with different sexual preferences, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you can't talk about with your parents. So I feel really grateful that with, when it comes to faith stuff, um, I was able, I'm still able to, um, but yeah, talking to my dad about it, it, it was interesting because it was intense. It was really intense. I mean, I, I was pretty, um, I was your little evangelist, you know, <laughs> I wanted to convert every and anyone that I was, you know, indoctrinated in that sense of the world is black and white. Like you're either saved or you're not like you're either on God's side or you're not like you need to be saved. Yeah. And I specifically remember having anxiety as a little kid because I, you know, watched Left Behind, right? A movie, that movie with Kirk Cameron. And and those scenes would, would impact me so strongly because in my mind, I was like, well, my mom and I are going to be okay. Like, we're the ones that the clothes are left behind. And if people are listening, they don't know what we're referencing. This is a movie that essentially uh, plays out in a narrative, The Rapture, right? Where it's like people get taken back into heaven and the people who aren't Christian or weren't true Christians get left behind and sort of deal with the havoc of the antichrist and of the world it's pretty crazy shit and at that point um, you definitely can pass the quarter test yes exactly <laughs> um so i had this heavy burden i mean like a burden that no one should hold yet alone a kid of you need to save your dad from eternal damnation you know like your dad's gonna burn and i would have dreams of my dad burning and being in hell and just like oh, wow such, such crazy stuff and and thinking i'm okay i'm saved and, you know, sort of putting that burden on my dad, you know, he, he loves me, loved me, loves me, but it was a lot for him. And I think we talk about it now and there's no like hard feelings. He was just like, you know, he's like, I understand you were brainwashed. Like you were in that headspace. And I was like, yeah, I was. I mean, my dad wanted to get a tattoo for the longest time. And I specifically remember telling him as a kid, dad, if you get a tattoo, you're going to burn it. Wow. Um, and now, you know, <laughs> I, have, I have so many tattoos and I, I, I know. So 
he, he, I remember him saying, Kev, listen, I, I just want a tattoo that has your, he wanted like my name on, like something about me. It was like the sweetest thing. And I was like, nope, like you can't mark your body. And he's like, one day you're going to grow up and you're going to get tattoos of your own. And it's going to be too late for me to get tattoos. And I'll say, I said, dad, that's never going to happen. So on my 18th birthday, when I got a tattoo, he was a uh, pretty upset slash, you know, sort of. He should have just got one with proud. you. Well, that's what I said. I said, Dad, it's not too late. And and now he's all, no, I'm too old. It's, it's past the time. You should, I think he's just scared. I think it's just his excuse. But <laughs> even even till this day, I'm like, Dad, it's Father's Day. It's your birthday. Let's go get a tattoo. Let's go. Every occasion, I'm like, it's time to get a tattoo together to like make up for it. I'll, I'll pay for it. He's like, no, I'm too old. I can't do it now. And it's, so it's this ongoing joke we have. But, you know, if you look behind the curtain it's of the joke, it's it's a pretty intense um pretty intense thing there that you sort of see the world in that way you know yeah dude it's um it's that it sounds like your dad was in an interesting spot like he wasn't trying to blow up you or your mom's spot and trying to let you guys do you but also do him and i think that sounds really i mean it sounds cool like for him like to have that patience with it uh yeah. but that must have been so complicated and difficult for him yeah no for sure for sure and now that you know i don't go to church or can even consider myself a Christian anymore in the traditional way or whatever. Um, we have such interesting talks about it. And like, I don't know if this is legal to say on a federal podcast, but can I talk about, can I talk about smoking weed or is that, oh, yeah, is that weird? Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 We'll talk, we'll talk, we talk about drugs. I live in yeah. Kansas, so I'll just pretend not to hear any of this. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> there was a few years back where we, we smoked weed with together, like on his birthday and, like watched the movie and kicked it and like talked about this stuff. And it was just such a surreal experience of like, wow, like <laughs> if you would have told younger me, younger him that this situation would happen, there's no living soul that would believe you. But you know, it's like the irony of it all. It's like, here we are like laughing about these things, these very serious sort of traumatic things like smoking. It's, it's funny. And again, I'm grateful to like have that sort of light hearted flexibility around my dad. Yeah. Or maybe the devil one. <laughs> Or maybe the devil won. And, you know, that's that's a joke, right? But I think after leaving the church and, and sort of whatever, um, that idea of like two paths, right? One is God's path for your life. And one is the devil's path and the wrong path. That has sort of haunted me even after removing the theology and like whatever and the, the culture and not going to church and all that stuff. There's still this like thing I struggle with a lot. And I've talked to a lot of people that sort of grew up in the church and curious what you guys have to say too of this like dual path like right and wrong back and forth thing that happens um in my head when certain situations arise or when i'm finding myself in a certain place and even this is like when i actually when i get too high and i get all paranoid stuff as sometimes you do um which why i don't really smoke anymore at all but when i did the reoccurring paranoid thought i would have is like you're on like sort of that joke you just made like you're on the wrong path and that stuff's weird, you know? What uh, what particular things when you're, like, you're in that headspace, what are the particular things that you look at as, like, if this is a right versus wrong thing, this is the stuff in my life that's definitely a problem. Like, is there specific things that you're like, this could be an issue if if it is the way that I was taught it was? No, it's not a specific thing. It's sort of like, almost like your butterfly effect situation where it's like one deviation in the road has sort of exponentially led to a different life which is ridiculous because life itself is this sort of beaming 
beautiful, uncontrollable thing that just happens, right? There's no, I mean, whether you believe in sort of things being mapped out or not, I guess we'll defer your answer, but um, deter your answer. But there's just this sense of like, oh, this is not the right path, which I don't believe in my right mind. But it's this sort of in my body thing that happens that it, it sort of that thought tempts me sometimes and like gets me in a really weird headspace. And I've only recently figured out that that definitely has to do with my upbringing in the church in like a very weird way of like dualistic paths, God's will, your will, and sort of constantly putting into different baskets, like which is which, right? Um, yeah. yeah. There's definitely some things that like, even if the implications of it are far from true, there there are aspects of that that did turn out to be the way that we were taught they were in some ways. Like for instance, uh, you know, you're kind of taught that like, you know, you need to be in church and you need to be around other Christians and surround yourself with your brothers and sisters in Christ and stuff like that. And if you're not constantly being nourished spiritually in a church setting or in like, you know, in spiritual ways that like you'll drift Mm. from the Lord. And that's, that is absolutely true. You know, now I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it was good for me, but it really was like my proximity to other Christians directly influenced like how concerned I was about keeping my mind in check on what I thought, you know, it, it was only after I, I like had some distance between myself and, and church people and church places and all of that, where I really started to like, be honest with myself about how much I actually believed and what actually mattered to me as opposed to like what I continually paid lip service to and hoped was something that mattered to me, you know? So you're saying that community helped you or it sort of harmed you in knowing what you really believed? I think it just it, I think regardless of whether you're talking about church, like if you, if you hang around nothing but like, right-wing people all the time like there are people who are going to be completely repulsed by that and they'll just kind of withdraw into their own thing you know Mm -hmm. but a lot of people like are gonna see like oh well you know these people i don't agree with them on this and that but i you know they're good people and i do like them and i enjoy their company and slowly kind of like they'll find themselves drifting more in that direction than they would if they had no proximity to those people whatsoever Mm. and i think within the church it's like that but turned up pretty heavily because there's a lot of pressure to adopt principles and ideas and core beliefs, you know, that, that sort of fade away when you're not there all the time. Yeah. So but you, what you're saying is you think that in the context of church has been a good thing in your life or sort of a thing that it, you've been fighting against? I think for, for me, it, it was both, but like the kind of stuff that, that comes to mind with it is like it was only after I had kind of like removed myself from that community that I was able to go, okay, do, do I really think that God flooded the entire planet and all the animals got on a boat? That's the actual history of the world as we know it today. Do I actually think that? Because there was a lot of pressure to like within my church, there was a lot of pressure to like you would, you read the Bible you interpret it literally, and that is literally what God means. The earth's 6,000 years old. The whole earth plotted two of every animal fit on a tiny boat, and that's what's the actual history of the of the planet is. And right. I wanted to think that was true, and I felt 
pressure to to believe that and to profess that. But after I wasn't like there all the time and feeling that pressure directly, it gave me more room to be like, I don't think I really believe this at mm-hmm. all. You know, that's not an important thing, really. But like there's a lot of other things that kind of that have a lot more weight and, and um, you know, they're a lot more pertinent to like your daily life and the way that you look at the people around you that I think faded away too. you know, Once things like homophobia, you know, was was definitely one of those things. Like I had to get out of there and meet other people and be away from like this consistent message for me to go. It's not right the way that I think about, you know, these people who are just people and they're they're good people. You know, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things like that. They're not all bad, but I don't know. It's it's like the the once the community aspect is severed, I feel like a lot of people probably that's that's the test of your faith, right? Because it's just you. Mm-hmm. It's you out in the wilderness and like there's nobody there for you to like protect yourself from the outside world with. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do some digging. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's interesting, like, I feel like my, almost my experience is a good bit different. The irony being that like, I never, my, my mind shift and my thinking about things differently happened within the context of, within the full context of, of church, being part of it, being active mm-hmm. in it, being involved. And then just hearing things and being like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I'm not there anymore. I don't think that. Anymore. Uh, or just having questions that I didn't feel like were being answered and, and reading about them. Uh, finding a new perspective or finding a different perspective uh, authors with different perspectives to, to get an idea of maybe the way other people might look at this. And it actually what's funny is that Liberty university was kind of where things did start shifting for me when Mm -hmm. I took a Daniel revelation class joked on that a little bit here, because quite silly, but that was where I was. They, they tried to set it up in a way that's just like, there are these other ideas about what uh, about you know end time stuff right and to me that was low stakes right you're not talking about the deity of christ or the resurrection you're talking about a heavy ass speculation on whether or not how the world is going to be destroyed so you're like whatever yeah. felt like more like low stakes where you're like I, I can think maybe differently than the mainstream without this being a problem mainstream evangelical christianity yeah. without this being a problem uh, so, you know, you read these books, it's like four views on this. And then you, you get these different perspectives. And then you, I read a couple of things on like the dating of revelation and when it was authored and, and the, the evangelical narrative. I'm like, this sounds so forced. Like it was like that mm-hmm. became an, like an Occam's razor kind of, it's like maybe the simplest answer is the right one here. Like if you mm-hmm. can, if it's very simple that it was probably like, if you can simply explain why it was probably written in this time period or this decade uh, versus, you know, jumping through mad hoops and writing 15 chapters on why it wasn't, it felt like really a lot easier to be like, well, maybe I just can think differently about this. So that was ironically the catalyst for me was being like, that got me interested in thinking about things differently that I made me feel like, Oh, I, I can take a different perspective. Uh, and was- that I ended up feeling slightly more and more bold in the different types of perspectives I could take within, within whatever scenario I was in. But mm. Was it John that wrote Revelation? A John, someone who went by the name of John. <laughs> there's a few, there's maybe, lots of John. Uh, you know, getting your feet boiled in oil scrambles your eggs a little bit. Maybe that's where Revelation yeah. came from. Yeah, yeah it's quite, quite the story. 
What uh, I mean, what what was that like for you? What's the what led you? Because you said you don't identify as a Christian anymore. Like, yeah. how did that come about? Oh man, that is a big question. <laughs> um, well, I I think I had a similar journey to what you guys just explained of sort of having these bigger questions more and more in my late teens, early twenties. Um, a lot around social issues, right? Um, about certain groups and all that stuff. And, and a lot of it around just the idea of eternity and hell and stuff like that. And just kind of that same feeling of like, huh, I'm not there anymore. I, I don't think I believe that. But like still being at church and sort of singing songs on stage, but like in the back of your mind, you're just like, I don't know. I don't, I, something feels off here. Um, not just culturally, but sort of existentially. Um, so... So yeah, I started having, I think, those questions. Um, I graduated high school and I, I didn't go to college, but I, I started leading worship at a church, like a church plant. And that was what I thought I needed to be doing in life. Pumped on it. I was like 18 or 19. I was so young. And it ended up not being so great. Like sort of the whole situation, it was just like a struggling church plant, just not emotionally supportive for like a kid who's just like trying to figure out what to do in life, you know, not to blame the church, but was just learning a lot of just like things out of that and, and started traveling more and started just thinking more about critically about what I believed and sort of being out of that church context definitely helped that too. So I think I agree with or resonate with both of your stories. Um, but it wasn't this like sever that like something happened, like pastor betrayed this person or and I saw this happen and my family got excommunicated. It was none of that. It was this sort of slow burn of like, okay, like I'm not sure I'm there anymore. And then hearing other people go through that, but in very sort of secret ways or, or through music, like hearing, you know, Page of the Lion and, and hearing all these, these guys that are singing about it and sort of connecting and being like, wow, like I really feel this stuff. Like I really feel myself in this and, and getting more into that stuff. And, you know, this is early 20s, sort of having that moment where I'm like, I, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm going to just take some time and figure out what I believe and get away. And, and sort of the, the identity crushing uh, thing that happens when you decide to sort of take that big of a, it doesn't sound like that crazy for a lot of people like, oh, you left church, like whatever. But if someone who's like led worship or like been in a church, when you get out of it, it's, it could be like, there's like a withdrawal from that whole community or just a sense of self that is like pretty jarring. It feels a little funky. Um, so spent some years in that sort of fog and headspace. And, and I think I'm still in some version of that, but a lot healthier and a lot better, thankfully due to like therapy and friends and conversations like this and with people talking about their past and talking about how the weird stuff was weird, but also how like some of the good stuff was good. And that's been the hardest part for me. Yeah. It's like, is figuring Absolutely. out like, Whoa, like there's some stuff in here that like is part of who I am and part of the way I see love and life and, and patience and all these things that I consider good things about myself were, were acquired through my faith or my relationship with my mom and, and that sort of faith relationship. And how do I make sense of this where, it's not even throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, I can't throw myself out. Like there are parts of myself that are ingrained in this, but a lot of it, I, most of it, I don't, I don't mess with anymore. Like I don't, I don't believe in, I don't, I don't resonate with. Um, 
so, but some of it I still do. And those little parts are very core. So it's just about how do you navigate that? And how do you not feel like you're broken when that is the case where you're not feeling like half of yourself is in one door, half of yourself is in the other. And I think for a while I, I saw myself as like lost, right? I was like, well, I'm just lost. Like, I don't know, but I definitely not in that place now. And thankfully due to like good conversations, relationship therapy, supporting wife and so many things. But yeah, it's been a journey to get here. And I still feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trucking on and, and figuring out what that means and what that looks like to feel whole in that sense. Um, but yeah. I think it's a, it's a journey worth, worth going on rather than being like, well, I need to sort of scurry back into a corner because we all know like that feels great. Like it's great to have that security net of like, all right, here are my sets of beliefs. It's here. It's black and white. It's what it's written on the wall. It's what all these 10,000 people are doing must be good. Right. Where it's like, no, it's, it's, I don't want to fall back into that, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Dude, I think what you're saying, especially about, you know, you mentioned not wanting to, it's not about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but how much of like, how much of who you are is because of what we were raised in. I think this is what I'm kind of extrapolating from some of what you're saying is that like, and this is some of, maybe I'm projecting you. Maybe you can tell me, but like Deal. so much of, so much of Christianity is tied up in just believing the right things, right? You need to believe X, Y, and Z, and that's what's going to send you to heaven. That's what's going to save you in the end times. That's what's going to get you sucked up into heaven to heaven's gates of the rapture. Like we, mm-hmm. it's that rightness of belief, and we know that it's, and, and we make this assumption that because of our rightness of belief, we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. We're going to take care of the people who need to be taken care of. We're going to have the, those virtuous things that end up becoming part of us, being wanting, looking at things in a way where like, well, maybe loving the unlovable or trying to be patient or whatever, like those types of things get instilled. But we are taught that we're only going to successfully accomplish these things if we believe the right things about who God is or who, who Christ is. And I think what, what becomes so weird is when you realize that you start losing those, like you start losing those beliefs, but all the, but some of those values maintain despite them. And, mm-hmm. and you start to feel like, you know, I, I guess I kind of, I'll connect this back to what you're talking about is that, that struggle of feeling like, even when you're beyond believing some of these things that struggle, when you, you, you sink back into those times of uh, you're on the right path or the wrong path or mm-hmm. whatever. And I, I want to, maybe in a little bit get into maybe some of what I, I feel like that comes through in um in your music uh your the, uh, oh my god i keep forget I, I we talked about it before we started recording uh the name of your album uh the la- the most recent one uh everyone i've ever loved yes i feel like that struggle comes through in it of like be which p- that path they're like i feel like i'm on this the wrong one but i definitely don't feel like I, that, but maybe I'm okay with that and I'll just be okay with being wrong then. But then that, so I feel like maybe I want to hear about that journey for you. Cause I feel like maybe you were transitioning to where you're at now when maybe you wrote some of that, but I, it just feels like, like you can keep some of that good stuff. You can keep a lot. I have, I kept a lot of it despite, and I'm still more, I, I, I still kind of plant myself in Christianity, I guess, but that that comes with a lot of baggage and asterisks but either way i but for me it's like it's all regardless of belief it's like my my belief at this point has become like in these good things in this way of life and that like mm-hmm. it kind of inversed right like so 
growing up Christianity, you'll only yeah. do the right things because of Jesus. But now it's like, I, I just want to do, I, I feel like if, if there's anything in this world, anything that matters, anything that has meaning, I'll prescribe this meaning to it if that's how I give it that meaning. But that's the way mm-hmm. that I want to live. I'll live that yeah. life. And it's a, it's a big middle finger to Paul. You know, faith without works is dead. No, it's not, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that Paul or uh, James was, uh, no, was that, was that the, was that Paul or was that James? It might have been, not... it might have been James. You've been out for right. too long, man. Oh, I've man. been out for too long. Wow. I feel like I got to Google it now. Faith that, oh, that, that is James, right? The, but the irony of that is like you have, See? you had people who wanted to get rid of, who wanted to get rid of that book. I, who was it? Martin Luther? One of the fat, one, I mean, one of the, Jesus Christ, one of the um, reformers yeah. or something was like wanted to get rid of that. Didn't think that book should have been in the Bible because the idea that your your beliefs are it's like it's kind of like uh, who who gives a fuck what you believe? Show me what you do, and then I'll know what you believe. Is mm. I if yeah, no, I know it goes both ways. It's I, weird. I, I was more making a joke to like sort of turn it on its head, but I, I completely agree with what you're saying. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So the whole like struggle, but of right and wrong, and wondering if like for the longest time I was like I'm believing the wrong things, therefore I might go to hell. Even though my life didn't change at all, and I was still actively involved in the world I was involved. In. It's like, am I really? Yeah. Is it all about this like ascent to some theological proposition? That's it. Where that's how we've boiled this down to. And then, but then when I I would really feel like I connected with my faith, it, had, it never had anything to do. With it. And, yeah. And, Trying to make those two compete got old for me. Yeah, no, for sure. It can get tiring. Yeah. What, uh, so, you- so with now that, so if you're unmoored from Christianity, like, uh, do you, like, does spirituality, like, play any role in your life? Did you find a, another belief system that worked better for you? Or do you kind of just take it as it comes and not really think as, as, closely about some of the, the, the bigger principles of, of it. Oh, no, I think more closely, I think, than I've ever had before. That sounded was... really condescending. That's No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, the way that I was trying. No, you're fine. I understand the question, but it's, it, no, no, I, but it's a good question, right? Where it's like, well, if you don't resonate with this. Um, but no, I think deeply still very spiritual, deeply, I think just more open and more humble to the fact that maybe – we're all wrong. Maybe someone is right. I don't know. I don't have the authority or I have the right to have the faith and everyone has the right to have the faith of, I think this is, this is it, you know? Um, but a lot more open to just how different people found faith, find faith. And even within Christianity, you know, cause I think I grew up in such a way of, all right, you're assemblies of God, Christian, you know, even Catholics, even they're, they're on the edge, dude. I don't know about those guys. Like, you know, it was even this like outside of my own culture, not sure, you know? And, and I think that played a big role in like really started turning me off is just, this just like us, them. So now I try to make, I'm still, again, still learning how to build those values of, of what I loved and learned as a child and as a, you know, teenager and, and through my life still of, of sort of God reaching out. Um, but I don't see it in like the traditional church Christian sense that I grew up in. But I think that it's beautiful that there is there are churches all over the world that celebrate God differently. That don't have maybe fog machines and flashing lights like sort of the contemporary version of Christianity is in America. There's just different 
ways to see it. Um, that's that's where I'm at, and I think I'm still still tuning in to to find what that means for me personally. Um, but I think we all are in some way, and I think once you think you've landed, I don't know that that's where I think I'm having I have a hard time. Like, okay, cool, like I'll never truly land. But there are ways that I think building values are important. So there's a sort of balance of like, yes, build your values, but there isn't as like, yep, I'm I'm this now, and and uh, I don't know. I kind of try to have that openness about most things in life and get tripped up most of the time, but. Does the larger institution of, you know, organized religion, like, does it, do you just kind of, do you feel like, like repulsed by it? Or do you really not have that sort of angst against it? Or wait, where did it not leave anymore. you on that? Not anymore. Not anymore. I, I think, well, I should say for certain institutions, I do. And those are the ones that take advantage of vulnerable people and marginalized communities and that's actually something very close to my heart where, you know, my mom and I grew up, my parents were divorced and my mom and I kind of grew up together and I've seen my dad a whole bunch, but you know, there was, um, the televangelists, your, you know, your Creflo dollars and your yeah. Kenneth Copeland's and, you know, I grew up on that stuff and saw my mom fooled into that pretty heavily. And so there is a fire in my heart reserved for institutions like that, that has not gone out to this day. And I, still have a lot of sort of anger and angst built up towards that, of course, just because I can't see people get like that sort of level of scamming, like really bothers and hurts me just because of the personal connection. But in general, I think anyone with the right mind would feel that way. Um, so yes, in that sense, but no, in the sense of, you know, church, uh, as people would go to church, there's no sort of judgment. And I think there might've been for a while, like, nah, dude, like I'm out, like I got out and there was this, you know, almost I, I sort of needed to distance it and like not associate at all or like think it was bad to feel good about myself. But I, I feel like I've realized you can only be in that place of anger, which is an important place to be, but it's not a good place to be forever. Um, I do believe you have to walk through that part of the puzzle, right? Um, but to stay there, it's not a great thing. So I still find myself again at times seeing stuff and feeling angry. But I try to be very careful of like managing that because there is, it's almost sadness now. Like that anger has, a lot of it is transferred to like, wow, like those people are so like in it that they, like they really don't see a lot of this stuff. And not that I know or that I see outside, but like when people are obviously getting manipulated, um, there is something to be said of like, wow, like that's a weird situation. I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm saying that I need help. Um, so there is, it's a, I think it's a mixed answer, but in terms of just like people who go to church or like the F the church, like I don't, I try not to feel that way or hold on to that. I still do have a healthy amount of calling out bullshit I see in the church just because so many years I sort of was like, eh, or felt, you know, part of it. So I think it's important to still call that out where I see it, but I don't try to spend my time thinking about it or ruminating on pastors being fake or this or that. Cause it's like, well, I'm going to just do my part to like, to be the counter to that, not to just be a critic to that. Like, what am I doing to sort of offset that? Like, how am I offering people sort of a good story or good hope? So I try not to focus too much on that, but but definitely have been in places like that and still find myself. Some it's like, you got to walk through that desert, but it's not a good place to pitch your tent. Something like that. Yeah. Footprints in <laughs> <the> sand. <laughs> tell that to the Israelites and you see footprints. Those are my footprints. Years, <laughs> What's that? So tell that to the Israelites who are in the in that desert for forty years. That's messed up, man. Well, I think I know a few of those on Instagram. They didn't. The Airbnbs they had, right? They didn't have tents. 
Can I? Okay, so uh, if it's uh, if it's not a a subject that you want to talk about, totally understand. But we we get a we talk to a lot of people who like one of their final experiences with Christianity and 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 church in any sort of formal setting was a church plant, and it seems like. It seems like that's a common thread. And, it, you know, we, we recently had a discussion with a, a couple that are also musicians. And, uh, you know, they talked a lot about their experience helping to start this church in Boston. And it seems like church plant stuff is like just these cataclysmic, like up and downs. It's like the peaks of of uh, meaning and and ecstasy and stuff like that in building it, followed by like the 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 pits of despair in like the the demands of what it what's required for people who are trying to get something like that off the ground and the the difficulty in working that closely with people who may or may not have the experience necessary to like wrangle an organization like that that they're trying to put together. Like what what was that experience like for you? Oh man. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. Um, it's funny. You said church plan in Boston. That isn't because I, the one I was, was at was, um, well, exchange details. Yes. After hours. Blast necessarily here, but I'm growing up Christian after hours. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, I think there's an element to, there's a connection to what we talked about with the school teachers about, these people with maybe good hearts who are just showing up to serve, right? Um, but there being a level of, there might be a disqualification for certain roles there and a lack of maybe education or experience. But because it's in a church setting, it like sort of nullifies that. And it's like, oh, your heart's there. So like, let's get you involved and like, let's put all this responsibility and pressure and all this stuff on. And I definitely yeah. felt that as like a 19 year old kid that was like, so underqualified to be a worship pastor at a church plant and uh you know at the time i was doing it with a girl i was dating we were doing it together it was a mess and it was not there it's not their fault no one put a gun to my head to do it but i think there was this there was this delusion of like i'm here to change the world which could have happened if i didn't do it. like there was a sense of this is my this is god's plat path this is the plan this is this is it and there was this like responsibility I felt to like do that. And I think that, I don't know if that completely answers the question, but I think there's a relationship to that in sort of burning out and realizing, feeling like I didn't have what it takes or what is wrong with me or this or that, where it's just like, you're just trying to build a church, like with little money and the fundraising culture is a whole other thing. And like, it's intense. It's like, it's crazy stuff. And it's stuff that I don't miss and (laughs) don't recommend. And, I don't know. It's it. I, it can get really funky. I think the conflicting feelings that situations like that bring upon people is like when you get into a church plant, you're doing it because you're like, we got to bring the gospel to this area, and God obviously wants His gospel brought areas, and you're met with this like, of course, it's hard work and it's not great and it's difficult, but there's this feeling that like it should take off differently or feel differently, like if if God like. If God wants this to happen, shouldn't this be going maybe a little bit smoother? Shouldn't maybe less people be leaving? Shouldn't. But so then when you want to leave, you're met with like, I'm giving up on God. But like, you're also feeling like, shouldn't shouldn't God be doing some of this too? Like, shouldn't this be doing better or bringing in more people if this is what God actually wants? Uh, Like what? Like, 
I don't know. It's I, it, that I, maybe that hits you a little bit more when you're stuck in that mode of like whether or not everything's predetermined or your your works make a difference. But I just remember feeling like like I I, I used to go around areas of Boston just hoping to be able to like meet people and and somehow maybe end up bringing them into church or even if it wasn't church like getting in a conversation with a stranger about and, and leading him to the Lord it's like that it was all it's so weird to think about um I feel like I mm. might have never even brought that up but I just feel it feels so strange to think about because I think in some sense that was always about me um but in a church setting I'm like I always want like it felt like maybe it shouldn't be so grueling to get this to where it should be if this is what God wants but then giving up is like going against god's plan uh it just it, it makes everything so convoluted and confusing and creates a it create a lot of fog for, at that point yeah yeah it's interesting I, i'm gonna throw a wrench in that because i'm curious to hear what you think about this theory but i also think the inverse is true where a lot of times people are able to justify unhealthy systems and behaviors by pointing to the fact that oh our church is growing Absolutely. You know, and that's an interesting, it's an interesting paradox. I also agree with what you're saying, but it is funny to see like other churches that like are obviously like manipulating people or hurting people or, you know, I mean, there's the whole like Marcel stuff. Like, I don't know how much you guys followed up with that. Um, But there was a lot there of like, oh, let's point to the numbers and and say, okay, like we're, we're on track. Like God's working, God's working. People are growing, like church is growing, church is growing until it implodes on itself or explodes on itself, right? Maybe one is imploding, one is exploding, where you realize that you were just riding the wave of sort of success and recruitment, right? And I think yeah. the, and that, and the idea of recruitment has really been on my mind and heart. Like this past couple months, I've been talking to friends about it. Just that sense of, as a kid, like you said, walking around, looking at people pass by and having this nature of I am a recruiter, like I'm here to save them. I'm here to bring, and in and, and your head, it's like to bring them to, to know Christ, to know freedom, to know the gospel so that their chains are broken. And I'm not saying that that's not true, that you didn't believe that earnestly, but and there's a sense of that is a crazy thing to just think that you were trying to recruit people. Or I can speak for myself. Like I was always seeing the world through a lens of it's, it's my people and like the world. And it's time. And I think that creates it for me, created a really unhealthy perspective on the world and one that I definitely do not hold anymore by any means and actively work to like never fall into that headspace. Cause I feel like that's where you get into trouble with understanding people because I think everyone has the opportunity, right. To say, Oh, I'm on the right side of the lens here. You know, whether it's Muhammad that was born in Morocco or Frank in Germany or Paolo in Brazil or Kevin in Boston, like, we all have our world land, our worldview and our and our way to say, well, the way I grew up is the-. so the humility and just the openness to be like, well, let me not put, you know, this isn't a me centric world. It was like when people didn't want to accept that, you know, the sun wasn't the center of the universe. They thought the earth was the center of the universe. Years of scientific battle for people to think, no, guys, like we're literally the third planet in. <laughs> we're not the center. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. You're like, wait, no, but it makes sense that like my 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 story, my movie in my head, like I'm the main character, but. Then you realize like everyone else is the main character too. <laughs> Just yeah. to be kind and gentle to other people and understand their their perspective. Yeah, dude, absolutely. It's funny. I'll be like, even I'll be really self-deprecating here, I guess, because where we were in like, you know, when I talk about going around trying to 
hopefully find myself in conversations where I could lead someone to the Lord or invite him to church or whatever. Of course, the only places I was walking around were like, you know, low income areas, right? Low income housing, um, what you might call the projects. I don't know if that's the right term anymore, but mm-hmm. you know where you never would have found me? You never would have found me walking around the mansions in Brookline, hoping to talk to someone who maybe could have you like, there was so much of like mm. that, like, you want to report back and like look i was there i was down in this area with these people and it it's so shitty like i hate that so much about (laughs) like is that also like a sense of um because like i'm i'm in sales and like when you're making cold calls the perceived importance of a person or like how well they have themselves in their organization together directly correlates with like how much anxiety you have about going to talk to them Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So like so, walking so the more in anxiety, the more anxiety, the higher rank the person talking you're talking to. Yeah. Like I work with car dealerships and like going to talk to the owner of the car dealership produces a different level of anxiety than like going to talk to the technicians in the back shop or the, the service manager or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're spot on. I think that has a lot to do with it and i think probably some of that's just like the justification for it is i'm going to the least of these forgetting entirely that jesus just shit on the rich well that's (laughs) where you gotta give your boy carl lentz props because he went to the most of these (laughs) he went to justin bieber he went to the kardashians he swung for the fence that guy he swung swung for something yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well yeah You, you go big or go home, and he eventually had to go home. He went, he went big, all right. <laughs> yeah, he went, out he went big, all right. Oh yeah, went out with a couple bangs. I heard. What's the uh, what's his next grift? Has he announced yet? I mean, do we have a clear a... idea of where he's going? Is he selling uh, like gold bouillon on Rudy Giuliani's radio station, or what? What's his next uh, huxt? You know, man, I think they should just have one big uncanceled tour. Where it's everyone who was canceled just getting together. This is a great idea. Dude, it's just (laughs) the worst idea. No, it's just like Carl Lentz Lentz, and Milo Yiannopoulos and Alex Jones like dancing a can-can. No, no, no. I can see but And it ends with them with their tour bus just driving off of a cliff. And then, you know, they go out with their last tour. I don't think that's fine. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll, we'll 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 figure that one out. We'll yeah. work on it. <laughs> yeah, you got tour booking people. You know people. Yeah, we'll let's make this happen. Yeah, Dude, so but I I want to talk about. Well, I, I do want to talk about your music, and you, I know you got some stuff coming out. I I know I was telling you at the top here before we start recording. Everyone I ever loved. I was driving home from North Carolina on my vacation a few weeks ago, and I listened to it like like I said like four times back to back, and just really like kind of soaking it in and I, cause I loved it. I like, you know, the first time I'm listening to it, you know, my kids are in the, I also probably had to listen to a bunch of times cause I'm driving, I'm in a 12, 13 hour drive with my kids in the back seat. Yeah. Um, it's not a whole lot that you, it's hard to pay attention to anything. Um, but it's like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talk about that where we have talked about comes through in that. And that came out, I, that album came out in 2018. So you yeah. probably, a lot of what you were writing was leading up to that. Is that, was that kind of during your, like, was that when you were kind of struggling through a lot of this and on your on, kind of on your way out of what you, you would have considered like a traditional Christian world? 
Absolutely. Yeah. That album specifically was a big part of processing all these topics. Um, and it was written, yeah, I mean, it came out in 2018, but it was recorded in 2018, but written, you know, sort of three, four or five years before that, all the songs sort of gathering up and, and uh, yeah, it was sort of just everything we're talking about here and more, just all those concepts of just rediscovering your identity and your your relationship to faith and to family and to community and to friendships that have grown up through faith. I mean, that's another thing going to youth group. Like I said, a lot of my core friends from church and like seeing their faith change and like that dynamic. And it's still trippy to me. Like there's some friends I have that are, you know, they're still in the church they're pastoring churches. And I'm just so far away from that world. It's just, it's crazy how things can change. So navigating that through the lens of friendships and what that means for your friendships and grieving and losing friendships. Um, There's just a lot on that album that was just written about regarding sort of uh, re-understanding faith and leaving the church, obviously. Um, but what's funny, like now the the big thing is like deconstruction, right? Where everyone's talking about it and that's cool. Um, but it wasn't even like, a, oh, I'm deconstructing like time to write a deconstruction album. It, it yeah. was just... <laughs> It wasn't anything like that. And I think it was just what I was going through at the time. And very, really the stuff that was deep, deep in my heart and sort of things that I were, that I was processing the most. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed to now be like a record that really helps people in that space to sort of understand and to talk about things, which is so great. But it's always interesting to look back on it to be like, I didn't sure. intend it to be this like banner or anything like that for like, people who like leave the church it was just what i was going through and it's just always interesting to see how people um sort of perceive that art and, and put it to their own story and their own but it seems like it's helped a lot of people which is really cool and like makes me really glad yeah dude absolutely i think i think what i you mentioning that it was written over obviously a period of time i think i want you can almost see that like there, it's almost like a conversation like when you look at some of the back and forth in it it's like you seem like you're more over here maybe in one song and more over here and I don't know, man. I, I really pieced together well. And I just, that's what made me want to re-listen to it so many times in a row. That's so cool. That's just, cool. I, I love up that. And here and like, you know, questions around, you know, like I said earlier, like you, some of it definitely comes down to that whole, like two paths. Am I on the right path? Am I on the wrong path? And I think, and, and one of the, and one of the songs it, you said something about, you know, may, maybe I'll just be content existing outside of your lovers. And it's like, I think, I, to me, like I thought what resonated with me about that concept is I feel like that that kind of encapsulates something that people who are having a shift in faith, whether or not they stay Christian or not, but having a shift from the faith that they were born into is something that they go through where it's like the dissonance is like, I, I understand you're, you're so the idea that what you were born into is correct is so wrapped up in your psychology and who you are that the idea of doing anything different can't be anything but wrong, but you're so much outside of what you came up in that you have to just be okay with being wrong. And I feel like that's the first step that people take in a lot of ways. And I think that you, a lot of what you, what that album, what you say on it, like hits, hits to that. Experience. Mm. Yeah. That is a great, a great point. What, what always gets me though, and I'm always, confused by this because it's what you said it's like it's the main character syndrome right it's like well how how is the thing that i was born into not the thing like it has to be like this is my life like, this is my perspective 
but it always gets me people who sort of find God at like 29, right? Or like 30. <laughs> yes, dude. You know, and it's so like, for us. yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm always, I, and I don't have the answer and I have thoughts, I have opinions and I, and I'm, you know, I'm just like, well, how do I, is it a trick of the light? Is it emotional response? Is it like someone just super vulnerable? Is it God? Is it, what is that? Because that person, sometimes I've seen people sort of living a life alcoholic, like down a certain path and like overnight their life has changed and their complete worldview and sense of self and reliance on everything is just completely shifted. And that is funky and definitely still very interesting and like see that play out in some people's life. When I, when I was younger in the church, I saw it and I was like, what is that? You know, at the time you're just like, oh, it's, it's the power of God. And not, not that I'm saying it's not, I'm just saying I'm open to yeah, yeah. What is the psychology behind that, right? Like, what is happening that puts neurologic? I'm really curious. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, my my grandfather. So my uncle. It's funny. So, I, one of my uncles, I'll, I talk to a good bit, just like messaging, right? Uh, and his, he's my uncle's age is like in between me and my dad. Like he was born. Like my dad was like 18 or 19 when he moved out of the house, uh, and then I mean he's 18 or not. I think he's like 18 or 19 years older than my uncle. So like my, or my uncle was basically a kid with my dad. Out. And so he's kind of like bridges it, right? There's like, he's like the middle ground. And my grandfather was an alcoholic and he mm. was a really shitty dad in a lot of ways to the, the older kids. Mm. Uh, and then he, he, but he had his like conversion experience. He got saved and he quit drinking. And anyone who knew him after that would be like kindest, gentlest, most loving, like mm. there, he just saw you, right? Like my, my grand, I remember being in high school talking about being in a metal band and like, he didn't know anything about it. Like, mm -hmm. but he, he would just look at you with these eyes of like, this is the most important thing in the world to me. Mm. And my uncle messaged cool. me recently talking about how, like, that's how people knew him is like, mm. he just loved you and cared about you, heard and saw you. And it made me think of that experience again. And I'm like that it's, to, for my grandfather, that it, that being that was directly tied to his. So I, mm. I'm with you, man. Like I don't, I don't know what to make of that stuff, especially when you see some people have a conversion experience and become really shitty. Uh, definitely seen that before, but it, right. When I, that I think happens, a lot of that comes down to just like some people need structure so badly, like and not in a bad way. Like oh, you're just too dumb to make it on your own, you know. But like some people, I feel like they're they're not happy with where they are and they know they need to make a change. And like this community offers a structure that seems to really work for some people. You know, if you're, if you depending on what your goals are, but it does seem to work really well for certain people. And like, I don't know, you know, have you guys ever had somebody close to you that like sold Amway? <laughs> no, uh, it's not a good compare. It's like a condescending comparison for sure. But like part of, like jumping into something like Amway or something is like, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you're like, well, I guess I'll try it and see if I can sell some stuff or whatever. Like you have to buy into the system, you know, mm. and the system has to become like, I have a job, but this is how I'm going to get ahead. Like, this is how I'm going to establish myself and get ahead in life. And it's more than just like a side business. Like this is going to be how I get to the next level and I think that's yeah. kind of how people approach a lot of things. And, you know, with Christianity, especially I was just having a conversation about a guy 
like this today who, um, you know, was kind of a partier and stuff like that in his younger days, you know, long before I knew him. And now he's very devout and very kind of annoying about it <laughs> to the point where like he gets angry that like coworkers are drinking at a, at a dinner or a company out or okay. something like that, you know, but like he needs that structure so bad. And when that structure did work for him, he became so loyal to it that like the structure is now kind of more important than like reaching the people on the other side mm-hmm. of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that is the case for plenty of people. I mean, I th- I think you see that. I think that's tried and true, really. I think you see it. I think the outliers are where I find myself being fascinated. I think, I honestly believe my grandfather was an outlier. Because I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think he found a church and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But AA definitely was a, a catalyst for it. So, I mean, shout out to AA, right? Like that, AA is one of those things. That's, that is a structure that does work and that that having that really is, is beneficial, but it yeah. did, that wasn't something my grandfather even stuck with. Like he didn't stay in a, he didn't like, I, there's just, like, it was just something, something flipped in him it, from my understanding. And the person that I knew was different than like the person that my, my dad or his siblings grew up with. Like there was an actual, I feel like there was an actual change as much as I could understand it outside of like boxing into these structures or, then wanting everyone else to were feeling uncomfortable if other people didn't like, it was just like, yeah, uh, you do you, you know, you know uh, yeah. I'm going to do, this is who I am now. Like, it feels like there was a change there. And I think, I think that's what's that. Those are the ones that do boggle my mind and they are certainly, but it's interesting. So to that point of structure, I'm thinking about this and I think we're thinking about it in terms of a meetings or, or church or community group or Sunday mornings. But I think if you zoom that out and look at the macro, subscribing to faith is sort of cosmic structure, right? It's someone who's felt lost otherwise and saying all of a sudden, like, not in like even your community, but in your existence, you have a place, like you have a, like a place in the jar of that. Like there is now an identity and there's someone above you. And there's in some ways, maybe even unhealthy people below you. There's like a sense of structure in your sense of self which I think explains a lot of people who feel lost or broken or vulnerable, like the psychology behind giving them faith for better or for worse. I think, I think we all need that. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it's, it's just faith is one of those things. Religion is one of those things for better or for worse that gives you that cosmic structure of yourself in verse. Right. And I think that's why there's a lot of magic or just like radical change that happened because you're just looking at someone who's just been completely unhinged alcoholic sometimes and and all of a sudden they're they're tonight night and day like their lives have changed and i think a lot of that has to do with structure i think it's a great point but even if you zoom it out like to the sense of self not just to like oh i have people to like see every sunday now or like sort of a week structure but like a life structure <laughs> yeah it like reframes your yeah. existence in a lot of ways and, and i don't think that that need cheapens it in any no, sort no. of way or makes it I don't, I don't think that it's a bad thing like and and if we're being honest all of us benefit from structure regardless oh, yeah. of what part of your life you're talking about like just you know just look at your job like if you're miserable at your job and we all go through points where we feel that way you know like okay well what time are you going to bed at night and what time are you getting up in the morning and like mm-hmm. you're going to work but are you 
are you getting some exercise? Are you getting outside? You know, all of a sudden you go from like just being in disarray to like, I'm in bed at 11. I'm up at five. I do, uh, you know, 30 minutes on the treadmill and then I go to work. I'm getting sleep, you know, like all of that stuff, even though that's like a, a you know, a, a more concrete version of what we're talking, like all of that, not only helps you do better at your job and not hate it so much, but like it just makes your life better in a lot of ways. And I think like there's something to be said for, okay, like you've decided that evangelicalism or Christianity or whatever it is that you grew up in is not the structure for you. Like, you know, I don't think you want to spend too much time totally adrift. Like you need to find some foundational principles that you can plant your flag in, you know? Yeah. And you hear a lot of that from people who are into, to Buddhism. Like Buddhism is a really good framework with which to look at your life, you know, like secular Buddhism or whatever you want to, you know, whichever version of it you want to talk, talk about that seems to work well for a lot of people who want some degree of spirituality in their life. But like Christianity just doesn't work for them anymore. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I don't know if I fully agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to think on that one because I almost am in the place that I think the universe is structureless. Um, but I still believe that structures are important. So there's this par- it's almost paradoxical. And your, 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 your point makes more sense than mine will probably make sense. But I feel like we're living in a paradox that things are just so crazy that we need that structure to distract us from the unstructured chaos that is universal. Yeah. It's, it's probably it, true. It could be a distraction. <laughs> I also true. think, but I don't, but I don't know. I, I that's, that's the, that's the thing too, where it's, I don't, that's what I like. That's what I think, but I still see the benefits of everything you're saying. I completely agree. When I feel the worst in my life, it's when things are a mess. I don't feel like I'm sleeping well. Things are unstructured. There's no rhythm. You're t- like, that is completely true. But I think that's why we're so quick to say like, oh, we got to land somewhere. We got to figure it out. We got to figure out this faith thing because in every other sphere that that like structure is important. But I just don't think faith is something we can quantify down to that level of consistency ever. Values. Yes. That's where I think I'm still struggling. No, but it's not even a point I'm making to argue. It's just an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I say all that not really having a structure myself i just kind of think, dr- drift back and forth depending on what we're uh what we're arguing about yeah i, I think <laughs> an interesting caveat to all that kind of i guess it somewhat bridges the gap a bit not that i like to be middle road fucking guy that guy gets annoying after a while but um rob bell uh, i remember hearing him say at one point like that it when it comes to like a sort of spiritual growth right um, there's like, there's this spiritual, not religious sense. And that, that's of course fine. But there are, when you, when you look at when, when you can set something up as kind of a guidepost, right? Like you're going to have almost become a more, I, I don't like necessarily like the terminology I'm about to use, but a more spiritually mature person. Like if you're just adrift, you're like, I don't know that I necessarily believe in anything, but everything's great. Love is love and blah, blah, blah. Like those people kind of just are flaky often. Uh, and, but when you look at the people who provide real value in their teaching, with their guidance, with their, they're coming from a perspective. What they're not doing is making their perspective monolith. You know, they're not saying this is the only way, but they're extrapolating something that's useful for everyone and themselves from a particular person. So you could pick Jesus, right? You can pick Jesus and you can 
you can use that as your as your post, uh, your signpost, your whatever. And, and you could also pick something else. So Buddhists, it has the tradition that it's that it's wrapped up in, and it can it can extrapolate from thousands of years of other people's thinking within that. And I I I like that idea, and I think I. I think that even when you're talking about structure, Casey, that's why I don't, I'm not resistant to that. I don't think the idea of structure or a framework or a scaffolding makes people weak. I think everybody picks it. The people who don't are flaky and floaty and they, they're, they're kind of adrift in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but like, for, so for me, like, I don't, I'm not going to make any real truth claims. I'm not going to say this is the way, uh, <laughs> this is, the way. uh, but I won't really, but but for me, it makes sense to stick within something. So like my my framework has always been Christian. And while my my beliefs have changed in a lot of ways that pull me far outside any sort of traditional Christian faith, uh, and that definitely puts me as an adversary to some of those in those traditions, I find that that works for me. And, and having that structure and that scaffolding allows me to, in the circumstances that I'm in personally, be like, Look, this is the kind of person I want to be based on the way they understand Jesus. And I don't know if there's anything out there outside of this universe, inside of this universe, anything that provides meaning or not. But I know that when I feel things are meaningful and I find meaning in this crazy fucked up place, it's through that lens. And outside of that lens, I, I lose that. And it doesn't mean it's right, wrong, true or false. It just means that I'm on this. is That's how I'm going to get through this and how I'm going to get through it in a way that I think when I live this way or when I act this way, it makes the world mm. a better place based on a collective agreement, right? We can collectively agree societally, globally, universally that like there are ways to live that make the world a better place and ways to live that makes. And in order to live into that in a way that I think is important or helpful or provides meaning, it's through that lens and through that. And then so that's that's why it works for me. But. So I think that structure, I, I'll never find that to be an offensive thing. Like, I'll, I'll pick it. I'll pick this one. This is my structure. And mm. you can pick that structure and be really fucking shitty. We're seeing it constantly. And that's why people are leaving it in droves, the, the, the Christian one. But, like, mm. it doesn't mean you can't make it work for you. It doesn't mean you yeah. have to make it work for you. And it certainly doesn't make it ultimate reality. Yeah. It's almost like a language, right? It's, it's just communication. Yeah. It's sort of communicate Like, you could know a language and be a sh have a great vocabulary or a shitty vocabulary. Um, you can know a language and say, wow, there are hundreds of other languages that can communicate the same thing just in different ways. But to not ever learn any specific language um, sort of inhibits your expression, maybe. I I'm just trying to understand it through that lens. That's really interesting. I, I um, like, I like yeah. the way you just boiled That's a good it. way of putting it. Yeah. To not learn a language simply because it's, it's all just metaphor for things and concepts would be insane. Yeah. Like, learn there's, a language. A, there's a practicality. The more to, you know, the better yeah. in some ways, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, really, I love, I love that challenge. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. And for you well, folks, guys, I, I have to yeah. uh, wrap up in a little bit. No, it's been great. I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, but it's, we could probably go on forever. We could. No, this is about our time. I, it's yeah. funny because I was like, it's close us out. Let's talk about some music. And we've been doing this for 20 minutes. No, I love it. I, I love all the conversations. Well, let's yeah. let's really close us out. And you can talk. You have you guys have two new singles out. I don't know. Do you have a release date for your record, your new album? We do. June 3rd. It's coming up. Oh, um, nice. June 3rd. So just in a bit, we're going to put out. The full record, it's called Heal My Head. And yeah, two singles are out right now. There'll be a third probably by the time this airs where the full album will be out. So 
I'm really like, excited. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a continuation to the story. So I'm nice. Well, I can't that. wait to hear it. The two singles that are out now are fantastic. I've already said enough nice things about your previous album. So everyone really go listen to it. And especially, I think our listeners, especially listen to uh, everyone I've ever loved. I got it right this time. Um, and if, if people want updates on touring and all of that kind of stuff, new music, all that work, what's the best place for them to follow you guys and keep up with that? Uh, Instagram, probably. Yeah. Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. Which cool. is <laughs> uh, Valley heart M a uh, for Twitter. And same for Instagram, Valley Heart MA. Valley Heart MA. Yeah, Massachusetts. Even though you're not Massachusetts anymore. Yeah, well, I can't do, you know, QC or Quebec or wherever I'm at right now. (laughs) (laughs) That username was taken. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, Go follow Valley Heart MA on Twitter and Instagram, and we will catch you next time.